0: TheYeshiva.net
1: yeshiva.net. Abayim Welcome, everybody, joining us here this the special occasion, the special evening. Yud Shvat, Tavshin Pe Gimel, the 10th of Shvat 5783, commemorating the 73rd yard site of the Rebbe Rayatz and the day that the Rebbe. Assume the leadership of Chabad Lubavitch, Yud Shvat. First of all, I want to thank the Kavad the Kavad Ahsanya, the Rav and the whole Kehila for your hospitality, special hospitality, Akhnas Thank you to the board and to the organizers here at Basement Achimendel and to all of the sponsors. I know that it was a real community effort here of unity, so thank you very, very much. And a special thank you to the corporate sponsors, Reb Mark and Rina Nussbaum, Reb Zalmi and Miriam Raskin, Pure and Happy, I love that name, and the Gehrman and Schrader families, Reb Baruch and Hani Weingarten, Sheffer Realty, Glick and Associates, Reb Akiva and Chaya Eisenberg, special thanks to Reb Dove Tilson, and Moishi Belzer for spending hours setting up the shul. And a special thanks also to the, and a special thanks also to the person who doesn't want to be thanked. Also dedicated by Itzik Allen in memory of his grandmother, Hanina Simcha Bat Frecha and his uncle, Reb Nachman Ben Rochel. Thank you to Heine Shmosom, and also dedicated by Rab and Chaya Lutkowski. As Oh, shalom aleichem, and family in loving memory of his parents from Samarikand, the Shimon Ben Yisrael, and the Bester Baster Thank you very, very much. I want to share with you a story. that uh, I experienced a number of years ago. And it was so powerful, it was so moving to me, that uh, I really feel I want to share with you. This is what happened. Corona broke out. Purim time, you remember, Purim time, March 2020. But nobody knew if you would have told somebody on Hanukkah or even a few weeks after Hanukkah that in a few weeks, you know, 7.7 billion people will be brought to their knees and every mall and shul and bowling alley and pizza shop and store in the world will be closed down without a terror attack, without a third world war. Nobody would think you're crazy. It's even hard to believe that it happened, right? The Shliach, the Chabad Shliach to Rostov on the Dan River in Russia phoned me in the early winter. And he said that this year, Bez Nissen, this is 2020, Bez Nissen, the second day of Nissen, Tovshin Pei, 2020, 5,780 is exactly a hundred years of the yard site of the Debidah Levera Shah passed away. Bez Nissen 1920 in Rostov. He escaped from the Germans during the First World War. He didn't want to be under the Germans. So he escaped in 1914. He escaped from Lubavitch, Belarus to Rostov. He settled there. He lived there the last few years and he's buried in Rostov. He passed away Bez So he said in honor of a hundred years, he wants to make a huge event. Rostov is a little bit of a neglected city. To honor the Rebbe Hashab, a whole week of learning his Maimadim and his Chassidus, and they asked me if I could come. So I agreed. Came the month of Adr. I started to appear for the trip. And I see my passport. It's going to be within six months of expiration. I can't use my passport. And the uh, trip was very, very soon. It was already in middle of, it was right before Putin. And I realized that I have to leave in two weeks. I'm not going to get my passport on time. In Muncie, there's a lady known as the passport lady. I don't know how I came across somewhere, an ad, I guess, the passport lady to expedite your passport. So I phoned the passport lady. She gets on the phone and I say I have an urgent situation. I have to get to Rostov. I see my passport is not going to work. How fast can you get it for me? She said a week, a week and a half. I said, perfect. That's what I need. Cause I had to go the end of the beginning of Nis. Come to my house. We'll take pictures and we'll move it along. I got into my car, get to her, go to her house, spring valley, a few minutes from where I live, not far from here. And I come into her house. I see her husband is learning Maseches P'sochim. So I start schmoozing with him. He tells me he has to finish P'sochim to make us see him on Erev Pesach. See, holding in the beginning, P'sochim is a big mesechta, 120 blots, a little more. He says, yeah, I do quite a few blot a night and we fail finish Erev Pesach P'sochim. Okay, we take the pictures for the passport and Everything is good. I'm about to leave. Good night. Thank you very much. Call me up when it's serious. I could get it and go to Russia. She looks at me and she says, "Rabbi Jacobson, I have to. Shh. I owe you a debt of gratitude." I said, "I'm not sure we've met before. I'm... You owe me a gratitude." She says, "Yeah." Say, "Why do you owe me a debt of gratitude?" She says, "It's a story. If you want to hear it." I said, "I would love to hear it." So she tells me as follows, she says, I have a son, his name is Shmuli. we have a beautiful family, Shmuli is a beautiful child, but the yeshiva system didn't work for him. And A number of years ago, the whole system of Judaism stopped working for him, and he left Yiddishkeit. My husband and I knew from day one, we are staying close to our son no matter what anybody else thinks or wants or says, we will remain very close to our child. And we did. And he moved out and he moved on. and He was going about his life in his own way. And at some point we heard that he met a young Jewish woman from Lakewood who also parted ways from her parents and went on her own path. And the two grew a liking towards each other. And the liking intensified. And at some point they decided they want to get married. And she's from Lakewood. They want to get married in Lakewood. They're not religious at this point. But they want to get married. Jewish boy, Jewish girl. Wonderful. And he tells me he wants a regular wedding. Some friends said, what are you going to spend $40,000, $50,000 $40,000, $50,000 on a wedding that you won't approve of. You're not going to approve of the music. You're not going to approve of the dancing. You're not going to approve of the dress code. You're not going to approve of some other things that are going on at the wedding. You have to spend $50,000. Buy herring. Herring, kichlach. You want some sponge cake. So i sponge cake. You can't get married today without sushi. It's a shy on the kiddushin. It's not a chalois kiddushin. Fine, you can get some sushi. $50,000, $40,000. A wedding without without the nachas you want. My husband and I knew, no, if this is what our son and future daughter-in-law want, they want a beautiful, nice wedding. That's what we're doing. (laughs) So we paid for a wedding with money that we didn't have, as many parents do with weddings. And uh, it was a beautiful wedding. And we invited our friends, our neighbors. They wanted a big wedding and friends from Lakewood and friends from Muncie and relatives. And she says, you know, people make a lot of comments. People are sometimes judgmental. And they make comments and every Chachim of Chelem has what to say and has an opinion. She said, even during the wedding, there were people telling me (laughs) that I should have not squandered so much money on a wedding that to put it mildly, did not adhere to the highest standards of Muncie and Lakewood religious culture, to put it mildly. But my husband and I celebrated. We enjoyed, our family enjoyed. We danced with the chassem, we danced with the kala. And uh, it was a very special moment, child getting married to a girl he loves, and a boy she loves. We left Lakewood, at 30 in the morning to get home to Muncie. The drive from Lakewood to Muncie is an hour and 45 minutes, for those of you who do it. Even without traffic, maybe an hour and 40 minutes. They left 1.30. They knew they're going to be home around one they They're going to be home around 3.30. On the way, she turns to her. She says, I turned to my husband. He was sitting right there. She's telling this to me when I'm trying to make a passport to go to the stove. On the way, I tell my husband, you know, I'm feeling down. He says, why are you feeling down? We're coming from the wedding of our son. I'm feeling down because maybe it was the wrong decision. Maybe our neighbors or friends or relatives are right. I mean, let's face it, the wedding was, uh wasn't a regular Lakewood wedding, let's put it that way. And I felt, you know, could have done a small wedding, a private wedding, they wanted it this way, but I didn't feel so good about it. She says, I need therapy. I need somebody to talk to. He looks at her and he says, where am I going to get a therapist at 2 o'clock in the morning to come into the car with the land in a helicopter on the highway to come into the car on the road from, from Lakewood to Muncie? Where am I going to get a therapist? So she tells me, I turn to my husband and I say, let's put on Rabbi Y.Y. A therapist in the middle of the night sometimes. So we go to YouTube, she tells me, and type in, uh, type in video, your name, yeshiva.net, whatever she typed in. And she says, a video comes up. So I press play. She tells me, I kid you not. As I press play, you're sitting there at a table, and you say, I want to share a story. So we're driving. We're exhausted. You know the drive from Lake with the months in the middle of the night. Yeah, you do it. It's a killer. Huh? It's the worst, right? Why? It's boring. It's boring. Yeah. The highway is boring. The Mazda is boring. Unless you have something really good going on in the car which some of you I know have, it's it, it's not what you wish on your enemies. It's like a bore, really, it's one of those drives, you know what I mean? Like, even if you're not tired, you want to fall asleep. Even if you're not tired. And she tells me, you start telling a story. What's the story? The story I shared that she listened to at that moment, at that drive. I said, I heard, I was standing, this is already me telling the story. I was standing at a levaya, I was standing at a funeral in front of 770. This was many, many years ago. The coffin was late. The urn was late. So I was waiting there. Near me was standing a Jew who was close to 90 at the time. Today's an the Mammoth. His name was Ribdavid Edelman. Ribdavid Edelman lived in Springfield, Massachusetts. He built a yeshiva there, Achait Mimim, which he led for pro- pro- approximately 50 years till his passing. Today it's continued by his family's children. Reb David was standing right near me on Eastern Parkway on the service line. We were waiting. I turned to him and I said, Rabdavid, tell me a story. She says, I'll tell you a story that I experienced firsthand right here. And he pointed to 770. He says, right here. I open up my, I open my ears and Reb David says it was 1943. Tavshin Gimel. So this was approximately 60 or 70 years later. <laughs> 70, 70 years later. And maybe even 75 years later. He was a, He was almost 90. And he says, I learned in Temchit Mimim, I learned in 770 in the 40s. I was an American boy. And I learned in the yeshiva, Temchit Mimim Lubavitch. It was break time. It was the afternoon break, you know, lunchtime, mincha time, after mincha. Around 2 o'clock, two thirty, one thirty, that time in the afternoon. I was standing with my chaver, a classmate, Herschel Fogelman, Rabbi Yehuda Fogelman, also on the Oilem today. He lived in Worcester, Massachusetts. He had a yeshiva in Worcester for fifty, sixty years. Herschel Fogelman, Rabbi Yehuda Tzvi Fogelman, levrach. We're standing by the elevator. That's the place where the Rebbe would later give dollars. The elevator. There's a magnet there. You know the room, right? The foyer. you come into 770, the upstairs, that little room where the Rebbe would give dollars. We were standing there and schmoozing. I think he said we were smoking a cigarette. Probably recess, 1943. The whole way of 770, probably. I don't remember if he said that. But we were schmoozing. I asked him, what were you schmoozing about? He says, I don't remember. 1943. He says, you you know, at the afternoon break, what do you talk about? I don't know if they were talking about Roosevelt, or Churchill, or probably football. Huh? The Yankees, yeah. I don't know if they were punk Yankees fan, Yankee fans, but shaykh huh? Uh, could be the Dodgers, it's 1943, it's before L.A. stole uh, our team. 1956, this is 1943, yeah, Ebbetsfield, Ebbetsfield, Nishposhet, there were people I knew who hid their ticket, Shabbos was a game, they had their tickets buried by the fence to be able to go on Shabbos, yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew a few people, it was a big Shabbos thing, anyway, he tells me, we're standing by the elevator in the afternoon and we're schmoozing Me, David Edelman, and, and Yehuda Tzvi Foglman. The door opens up. The door of a room that would later be known as Ganeid Atacht, and the room pre the Rebbe's room. It opens up. Who comes out? He tells me, the Ramash comes out. As you probably know, the Ramash was the title of the Rebbe at the time. Reish Mem Shin. That's what they called the Rebbe. During the years of the Friedrich Rebbe of the Rebbe Rayaz, the Rebbe was his second son-in-law. The oldest son in law was the Rashag of Shmayogarari and the Rebbe was called the Ramash out of respect. That's why they call him the Ramash. So the Ramash comes out of the door and he sees us standing in Shmozi. So the David tells me the Rebbe, later he would become the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, looks at us and he says, Irvilt Haran, a fiddishan word for Rebbe. Are you interested in hearing a fresh vart, something new? As you say, right out of the oven that I heard from the Rebbe. The Rebbe, of course, meant the Rebbe's father-in-law, the Rebbe Rayatz, whose yard site is today, Yud Shvat. Do you want to hear something, a new vart I heard from the Rebbe? They said, of course, avad. So the Ramash, the Rebbe starts telling them, he tells them, and he gives them the background. He says, as you know, here, in 770, there come different types of Jews. People come to visit. So 770 wasn't a big shul then. Downstairs was a garage. Upstairs was a little shul. It wasn't a big meeting, but people would come. The Lubavitcher Rebbe was there. The, previous, the Rebbe Ayats was there. People would come. So he said, the Rebbe said people come, and different types of Jews. There are many Jews who come visit, That on the other side of the Atlantic, they were religious. They crossed the Atlantic Ocean like many Jews. They threw away their tefillin. They threw away Yiddishkeit. They wanted to become part of the melting pot of the American dream. They send their children to non-Jewish schools. There were so few Jewish schools. They stopped keeping Torah mitzvahs. They come here. They visit for whatever reason. He says, my custom is I'm very warm to them. I greet them warmly. I welcome them with a smile and I am hospitable to them. I make them feel comfortable. And he said, There are older Chabad Chassidim who chastise me. And they tell me what you're doing is wrong. If you show warmth to a Jew who knows better, he used to be religious, and he became secular, you're giving a heksha. You're making him feel that what he's doing is fine, is valid. What you should be doing is protesting, condemning expelling showing them the door telling them what you really think about them don't play uh, nice cute charming games with them to make believe you agree with them you have to rebuke them you are responsible because you make them feel that they're welcome this is said, what Chabad Chassidim told me it's a wrong behavior Listen to this. So the Rebbe tells David Edelman and Herschel Fogelman, they're He says, <laughs> I didn't know who's right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're right. <laughs> so today I went to the Rebbe, some Shver, my father-in-law, and I told him, I asked him the question. <laughs> I said, we have a debate at 770 if we should be, if we should embrace secular Jews. But well, we should distance them. We should protest. Make them feel unwelcome until they do tshuva. When they repent, they can come back. I shared with my father-in-law both sides. This is what the Rebbe meant. A fetish word for Rebbe, a new word. He says, the Rebbe called. The Rebbe says, The Rebbe, the Rebbe the Shver, the Rebbe the father-in-law. He says, this is what he told me. David Edelman repeated what he heard from the Rebbe. This is 70 years before. From his memory in Yiddish. I'll say it in English. One word I'm going to say in Yiddish. You'll see why. He said, My father-in-law told me, Hashem created the world in a way that parents, by nature, love their children with an awesome, intense, infinite love. If you're a healthy, normal, functional human being, when you have a child... You just are filled with affection to the child. In fact, the love fills your whole heart. You would think there's no place for more love. It's like, where are you going to get more love from? But when a second child is born, your heart is filled with absolute, endless love to the second child. And when a third child is born, it's not like, okay, that's it. The reservoir of love is depleted. You can go to another house. A healthy father and mother, somehow there's a new infinite love to the third child. And so it continues with every child who's born. And then the Rebbe Yayat said, Sada'a mal, Vasada'a kind, Abalmum. A child is born, or a child develops an illness, or a disease, or a child has a disability or a deformity, or a challenge, physical, emotional, psychological. And the parents look at this child struggling. Every move is a struggle. Walking is a struggle. Talking is a struggle. Growing is a struggle. They look at this child, and they know how much this child is going to have to deal with in a difficult world. So the Rebbe tells the Ramash, he says Farazakind, Habenze, and he said, and this is the word he used in Yiddish, an egen elipshaft. I don't know how many of you know a good Yiddish, but you know what egen artik means. Egen artik means something unique, unprecedented, out of the world, out of this world. Agin Arctic elipshaft, a special love. I will ask me they already love the regular children infinitely. That's true. But for this child, due to the struggle, due to the empathy that they have, they see what he's going through or she's going through, their heart experiences something special. There's a tenderness, there's a compassion, there's a connection with this child precisely because of what he or she has to deal with. And the Rebbe Dayatz looks at the Rebbe, and he says Das is a marshal. it's a metaphor. mit Hashem loves every Jew with unlimited love, and it's no difference who and when and where Bonim the love of the Ribayna Shalom to a Jew is non negotiable, eternal, absolute, and endless. And the fact that there's another one doesn't take away from the first. The famous verse from the Baal Shem Tev, Hashem loves every Jew more than parents love an only child that was born when they were elderly and they didn't think they can have a child. Even that doesn't come close to the love of Hashem to a Jew. He says, is the And he says, Sometimes there's a Jew. He said, and tefillin. A Jew who doesn't put on Tefillin. He said, Tfeltech in the Adam it says that the, the Avery HaGuf and the and HaNesham are connected. The Guf and the Nesham are one, they're connected. So the Jew doesn't put on tefillin, there's something missing in his Jewish arm. A Jew doesn't give tzedakah. There's something missing in his hand. So the Jew's head is not occupied with goodness and holiness and tzedakah. There's something missing in the brain. And he went through different limbs of the body, that there's sometimes a Jew who's missing Certain aspects of his or her life. And there's something missing. There's something missing in the soul. This is when Hashem sees such a Jew. He says, For this Jew struggling, there's a special love. Because of the setbacks. Because of the failure. Because of the challenges. Because of the void. There's a special love. An artik Lipschaft says, the shver, my father looked at me and he said, do, you behave like Asha. Love every Jew infinitely. And when you see a Jew who's missing something, you see a Jew who's challenged with something, then love him much more. Keep him much closer. Keep her much closer. This is what the Rebbe answered the Freedic Rebbe answered the Rebbe on his question, who's right? The Chesidim, the other Chesidim of him. So what he told Rebbe David Edelman, and here follow you Think about it. that The Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1943 had a question. If you a car secular Jews <laughs> or not? Right? He had a question. And there were two sides. It's hard to believe the Rebbe had this question. And he went to his Rebbe. And when the Rebbe Hayat answered, once he answered, that was it. There was no looking back, as we all know. As they say, the rest is history. But to think about that by the Rebbe was a serious question. What's the right approach? Maybe I'm wrong. Once he heard from his Rebbe what the right approach is, we all know that was it. (laughs) There was never another way. But to think that the Rebbe himself had this dilemma in his own life, what's the right path? So the passport lady says to me, I'm listening, it's, I said it, it's a long story, it's now 2, 2, in the morning. I'm listening to this story, which went on as I'm driving, as we're driving back. She said, I don't know what to tell you. My, my heart, my heart was swelling with such gratitude. As we're returning from this wedding, where we embraced our children, and we had so much fun with them, and we enjoyed, and we spent all the money, and people made some comments, and then I heard... What the Rebbe said over that he heard from his father-in-law. He says, literally, there couldn't have been a better message that I and my husband needed to hear at that time. And for this, I'm grateful. That's why I wanted to express gratitude. I go home. I come into my house. And I tell my wife the story. And my wife says, wow. Why do you think this is the story that came on YouTube? I said, I know the algorithms of YouTube. I would be a billionaire if I knew the algorithms, yeah? Echves, how YouTube works. They certainly don't have Ruach HaKaydish, but algorithms sometimes have <laughs> some interesting skills. It's interesting. Why did this come up? I call her up. I call up a passport lady and I say, which day was the wedding? You won't believe me. Which day was the wedding? You're not going to believe this part of the story. She says, it was just now. That's why I'm thanking you. I said, what do you mean just now? It's now on other. When was this wedding? This was March. She says, February 5th. February 5th. I take a calendar. I open up the calendar. February 5th is Yud Shvat. <laughs> Yud Shvat, Pei, was February 5th. I had a Fabregen. <laughs> it was a Fabregen in the tent in Erechayim, by Shainer's shul. It was one in the morning, two in the morning, whatever it was, we were fabrenging. <laughs> and I said the story. She was coming home from the Chas at Shvat. She put it on. I was telling the story about the Tzidik and the Rebbe for Yud Shvat. The wedding was on Yud Shvat, literally, February 5th. So I tell her, you know that Yud Shvat is the yard site of the Rebbe Dayatz who said this to his son-in-law. She said, I didn't know. I didn't know. I said, look, the wedding was Yudshvat. you're coming home, you don't know if it was right or wrong, and you put on you put on the video, and you hear this fart from the ballet Lula, on his yard site. She starts crying. I say, why are you crying? I thought she was crying, it was emotional. She said, there's another part of the story I didn't tell you. I'm like, what's the other part of the story you didn't tell me? She says, you know, I didn't grow up as, uh, in a very Jewish home. I grew up in a very secular Jewish home. I'm like, I don't know your story. You didn't speak about you. You spoke about your son. So she says, my father, his name was jo- Josh Zuatsky. He was born in Brooklyn in 1933. Her father. Both of his parents died when he was a baby. So his uncle and aunt took him in. The uncle was, had a connection to Judaism. So in 1944, when my father was 11 years old, <laughs> my uncle took him to get a blessing from the previous Lubavitch Rebbe. 1944. 11 year old boy. And he brings in my father to the Rebbe, Rayatz. Josh Zawatsky. And he introduces him. He's an orphan. He has no father, no mother. He's growing up with his uncle. And he says, the Rebbe R'ayats, looks at my father. He understood Yiddish. They all understood Yiddish. And he tells him, he says, America is a difficult place. America is a challenging place. And there's a lot of nisiyoinus in America. It's very easy to lose your way in this, in this country. Will de geben abracha? I want to give you a blessing to this Josh, 11 years old. What's the blessing? As the Eberstivet Helfen, as trotz allen is despite all the challenges, vestuzen lichtige Yiddish Nachas von deine kinder und Kindskinder. You'll see amazing Jewish Nachas from your children and your grandchildren. 11 years old. He left the room. He grew up, like all the kids, he went to a public high school. A few years later, he had no connection to Judaism, and he moved from all places to San Diego. San Diego, he opened a perfume store, made a lot, a lot of money in the West Coast. The West Coast then was a desert within deserts. He met a Jewish girl in the 50s, and they married a secular Jewish girl, and they had two Jewish daughters they lived in San Diego. He made a very good living. But they grew up completely secular. One day in the 1970s, she tells me the Lubavitcher Rebbe decided to send a shliach to San Diego. And one day, my father is in a supermarket and he sees a man with a yarmulke and a beard and payas. He thought he's hallucinating. It's like a UFO landed, you know, straight from Mars into San Diego. So the early 70s, it was unheard of. My father said, "Who are you?" He says, "I'm a Labavitcher Chassid." So, Labavitcher Chassid, what are you doing here? He so, I came to build Yiddishkeit here. He says, "What do you have?" He said, "I open the shul." You want to come? He says, "I know Labavitch. I was by the Labavitcher in 1944. You don't have to tell me." He says, "You've been in shul?" He says, "Well, not in 60 uh, not in 40 years." He says, "Yisker, we don't do anything. Come to shul. We have a good kiddush. Cholent is good. You know what it it's." He says, okay, I'll come in. He comes in, and you know, sometimes he falls in love. He loves the rabbi, he loves the place, he loves the company. Probably like the Cholentoso, the Kichlach, whatever they had then in the Kiddush of the 70s. It's before the Kiddush club was invented, so whatever they had, Kichlach and Cholent. But they had something. This is the 70s, and he falls in love with the place. He comes back every Shabbos, you know, before golf, before golf. He come to the Chabad House. It's the midnight of many people in California. And he got really close to the rabbi. I think it was Rabbi Frat, Fratkin in San Diego. And uh, one day, his daughter is telling me, he comes to me, I'm a teenager, and he says, why don't you come with me to the synagogue of the Chabad House in San Diego? I says, they say, Daddy, when are you going? Saturday. Saturday we go to disco with my sister. We don't go to synagogue. He says, before you go to disco... You come to the synagogue, then you'll go to disco and dance with the boys. I'm not interested. We're not religious. What are you? You got hooked. You got indoctrinated. Don't blame us. He says, come, there's an interesting class. I don't know, life after death, some interesting class. He said, just to do our old man a favor. He was a nice man. We liked him. To do him a favor, I came with my sister and we came to the class. We sat at the class and I have to say it was very meaningful. It was, it was very, it was inspiring. It was meaningful. It made me think about things that I didn't think about and I didn't want to think about, but I really did want to think about. And somehow we went to disco and I told my sister afterwards the class was more meaningful than the dancing and the drinking. There was something more. So we came back the next week and we got involved. And a year later we found ourselves growing in Yiddishkeit together with our father. And we both tell our father we want to go to a Jewish seminary. <laughs> so him, together with the Chabad Shlech, they send the sisters to to Israel to go study in a seminary. And she says, and when I had to get married, I married my husband, who's soon going to finish Masech T'Psochem for Erev Pesach. And my sister got married, somebody I think in Toronto, also a Yeshiva Bacharol. And we built families. My father... My father, he says, we were living on the East Coast, so my father came, he was already an older man, he started to keep Shabbos, he started to keep kosher, and he was sitting one day around the table, looking at all of his grandchildren, singing the Shabbos songs, and he looks at me and he says, in 1944, <laughs> I was by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he told me, America is a tough place, but you're going to see lichtik yiddish and from your children, and your grandchildren. This is what the Lubavitcher Rebbe told my father, Josh Swatzky, in 1944. She said, but there was one boy, Shmuley, who was struggling. This was the boy everybody had a question about. My husband and I knew what to do, and on the way back from his wedding, we hear this story from the same Rebbe, who told my father about his grandchildren, gave us the empowerment and the confidence to know that we did the right thing. Mitzray Yutsvat Tovshin This is all as I'm planning to. I got a passport to go to Rostov for the yard site of the Rebbe Rashab on Beis Corona broke out a few days later. The Rostov trip was canceled. I never made it to Rostov. That Beis Nissen, Rabbi Danziger, with a few people in Rostov, went to the scene of the Rebbe Hashab and that was that. So the passport, I got. But it was never used for the stuff. But the story of Yud Shvat, I got instead of the going to the stuff. Recently, I met this lady. This happened in 2020 when I made the passport. Recently, I met her. I asked her, how are things going? She says, I want you to know something. Because of my closeness, our closeness to my son and my daughter-in-law, they feel at home in our house. They feel like family. There's no differentiation. So we always invite them for Shabbos, no matter what they do afterwards. She says, I wanted you to know that a few weeks ago, we came for Shabbos. Shabbos afternoon. We were schmoozing. It was a nice meal. And it went very late. It was Shaloshudas, I think. And then she says, My son turns to me. And says, by the way, is Shabbos over yet? And I take a look and I say, yeah. And he says, and within three seconds, him and my daughter-in-law jump up and they run into their rooms. And I see that they're, they're, they went to chop their phones. And I turned to my husband and I said, look, they're keeping Shabbos. They heard Shabbos is over, they ran into the rooms. This was the epilogue that she told me not long ago when I met her. So this I wanted to share with you because, for obvious reasons, but just if the punchline is not clear, it's probably pretty clear, but it's important to emphasize it again and again and again. And that is that we live today in a time where The greatest gift we can give our children, our students, ourselves, and our loved ones is safety, security, love, that every child should feel safe, secure, seen, soothed. Sometimes we're triggered very badly, and there's good reasons to be triggered. And when you're triggered, you sometimes want to distance yourself. And reject. And at that moment, it's incumbent upon us to internalize the words of the Baal HaYilula. To love every child with infinite love. And when somebody is struggling, it's not the time to distance yourself. It's the time to explode and open your heart with an eigenartige Liebschaft, beloved with a love that is unprecedented and unparalleled. Because in life, you have to ask not what your children can do for you, but what you can do for your children, which is another way of saying ask not what God can do for you. But ma, Hashem ala kecha shoyel meimach. What Hashem wants from you at this moment. L'chaim, 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 l'chaim. <laughs> Oh We were dancing the seven Akafas, actually the first hakafa. speech at Still hakafa bays. All the gym you didn't go to the last six months. But the mashlims <laughs> and I'm It reminds me I once heard from Reb Zalman Posner. He was a rov in Memphis, right? Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. I lived on New York Avenue, President Plaza, 346 New York Avenue. So uh, he had an apartment there, a relative, a granddad. Somebody had an apartment there. So we would spend sukkahs once together. So he shared with me that Yutz Shvat, he used to come to New York. He would come from Nashville to New York for Yutz Shvat. One year, he came for Yud Shvat, and downstairs in 770, he was packed by the Fabrenium. And the Zalman posed, that he, wanted, he told me he wanted to concentrate, he wanted to be able to hear what the Rebbe is saying with, with serenity, with tranquility. So he decided, why should he stay downstairs and push? Upstairs, I don't know if you know, upstairs in the little shul in the Zal, there was a hookup. From the mic, there was a hookup there. So there were like 30 people there. A few people were playing kugelach. They're always playing kugelach. A few people were eating hot dogs that they bought in Essen bench across the street with the knishes, which more oil than knish. But it had a shame knish. And, uh, and there was a few people there. So he said, I'll go up there, I'll sit on a comfortable bench. there's a hookup. We'll be able to hear the mime, hear the siches. So he was upstairs, his mazel in the middle of the fabrengin, the Rebbe turned to his father, Rabbi Shalom Posner from Pittsburgh, Rabbi Posner from Pittsburgh, and he said, who is the zun? Where's your son, Rabbi Zalman? I don't see him. So Rabbi Shalom said, he came for your tshirat. he's supposed to be here. He asked him a second time after another sechah, where is he? He wants you should say lechayat. He doesn't know. So he turned to his father-in-law. Shloim Aaron Kazanovsky used to sit right behind the Rebbe, Rabbi Kazanovsky. was an old chassid. said, Where's your son in law? He says, He's supposed to be here. They didn't know that he went upstairs. So uh, that was it. Three times he wasn't there. The never wanted he should say lechayim and acknowledge him, but he wasn't around. So he told me that the next night or two nights later, he went on a Yechidus. Before he went home, he went on a Yechidus. So the Rebbe Tuck tells him, Did I Three times I asked about you by the Where were you? So he says the truth. He says, it's very pushy down there. There's no place. Everybody's pushing. To get a good place, you have to kill yourself. I wanted to hear that Rebbe's serenity. So I went upstairs. And I was sitting there. And I was listening. I didn't see, but I listened. Before video days, you couldn't see, but you heard. Now, he was a big of in Nashville. He had a big shul. I don't know if you ever went to shuls, So one of the big shuls he had ma'kiva. An and you know these shuls, you know where the off sits, yeah? The old, nice, modern shuls. The off sits all the way. Yeah, the Rav. <laughs> the Rav sits on a chair and the president sits as a hundred to twenty feet away from him. They're not on speaking terms. And the Gabai sits another hundred and twenty feet away from him and the, the Shamash has his place and the president of Israel. You know how it is. So the Bzalman sat over there, Vaistuch uh recovered Malachim and his shoes enough place. Let's put it this way, it's not like seven seven there. So he tells the he was upstairs, so that he tells me they never looked at him and said the Bzalman, Ain must Shtoysen the Haguf. Once a year you have an opportunity to challenge, (laughs) to challenge the, to crush a little bit the chimer, the bruteness, the density, the crassness of the ego, of the material ego, and you run away from it. (laughs) That's what he told them. I'll call upon them. So as we were dancing, and I was thinking about the story that I shared with Rabbi David Edelman and the passport lady. I had a memory, I shared it, but it came to me, so I want to share it. For me, I could maybe say it's a shtickle, I don't know, like a shtickle, I don't know, you do do tzavah, because it's not an ingin of a tzavah. Every year is stronger and more lebidic and more more vibrant. But I guess it's a message, certainly a message. Since I grew up in Crown Heights, so the custom is that the locals didn't go every Sunday to get a dollar. Because there were so many people. You went on your birthday or once a year if you were going. it's a special occasion. At least that's what they taught us. There was always an argument to go more, to go less. But that's what they taught us to, uh, you know, to spare the Rebbe's time and energy. It happened to be the last time that Rebbe gave dollars, I was going to actually Yisrael that night. I was a bucket. My cousin was getting married. I decided I need a little break, so I got. A, I took a trip. I convinced my parents to buy me a ticket, to go to Israel for two weeks. So, because I was going to Israel that night, it was Sunday night. Chavav beis So I went for dollars. I usually would not go, but I went because I was traveling that night to Israel. So I went. And I got in over there. And first I stood. I just wanted to watch a little bit what was happening because usually you didn't see these things. I was watching people go. The Rebbe started the dollars then in the early afternoon. And this was approximately 6 o'clock. So he was already standing for around 6 hours, five, six, seven hours. And, uh, you know, giving everybody a dollar. And there were a lot of people who came. Thousands and thousands of people. And he spoke to a lot of people. It was quite, uh, you could see on the videos today, how, you know, what was going on over there, every minute, something else. But I was watching it for a while. It was extraordinary. Then finally, it was my time to go for a dollar. It was already getting close to the end. So I got online. And uh, I told the uh, Rabbi Groner, if he could tell the Rebbe for me that I'm going to Hatshoshua that night. My flight was 1 in the morning or 12. He said, fine. It happens to be right in front of me, there was a man, he looked French, and he looked secular, he seemed secular, and he was holding a girl, his daughter, she must have been four or five or six, that was the age, And the way she was dressed, I understood, it's not a religious, it's not a religious family, they had a darker spider complexion, it looked like French Jews, or from, you know, that uh, zip code. And he was holding her. She was this cute little girl. She was holding her in his hand. And they were, happened to be he happened to be mamish right in front of me. So the Rebbe gave him a dollar. And then the Rebbe gave his daughter a dollar. He gave it into her hand. And he, she said to her, like he always said, I'll never forget this. She looked at the Rebbe in the eyes. Mamish, four years old, five years old. And very loud, she gave a scream. These words. Rebbe of Lubavitch, I love you. I saw that the secretaries around got a little, uh, what's the word, maybe queasy. It wasn't a regular conversation, you know, even though she was a little girl. You know, tell the Rebbe, Rebbe of Lubavitch, I love you. I saw some people they were like a little little awkward maybe. But the Rebbe, when he heard it, he broke out in a smile. From literally from ear to ear, is, I saw that ever smile many times. But the way he smiled then, I have to say, it was something special—a a radiance, a light. She was ready to move on with her father, but right before that, ever took another dollar. He gave it to her. He looked at her and he said these words: "This is for your love." And they moved on. Then it was my turn. The smile was wiped away completely. <laughs> But Mamish, it was fascinating. <laughs> in a split millisecond, little bit, Ege yeah? But the Rebbe was like that, from a second to another second. It was like a different person. completely no smile anymore. <laughs> like, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> I didn't think that. I was just, I just watched it. And the B'Leib Groner told the Rebbe, as a fart heint in Eitz Yisrael, the Rebbe gave me a dollar. He said, Bracha and then he gave me a second dollar, and he said, of Tzedakah, in Eretz HaKaydish. She's given Fitzdukha in the Holy Land. Those were the last words I heard from the Rebbe. The next day, Monday, was Chavzai and Aleph and at the oil the Rebbe suffered a stroke. But that image stands in front of my eyes when he told that girl, this is for your love. He gave her a special dollar. This is for your love. In my mind, it's a very, very empowering message, because you meet people, I meet a lot of people, and you travel, and see a little bit what's going on, there's nothing that the Jewish people individually and collectively need as much as the feeling of closeness with each other, of real deep emotional love and safety, and it doesn't come so easy, we could say I love you, I'm here for you, But there's so many defenses and so many fears. And people feel so judged. And when there's a genuine feeling of lack of judgmentalism, which you can only give it to somebody else, by the way, if you give it to yourself. (laughs) If you don't know how to give it to yourself, you can't give it not to your children, not to your spouse, not to your friends, not even to your own children who you want to give it to. If you don't know what you do with yourself, Because you don't know the language. We learn the language with ourselves, then we can give it to others. So what the Rebbe said to David Edelman in 1943, how many years is that? Tavshin Gimel, Yud Gimel, Chav Gimel, Lamed Gimel, Mem Gimel. This is how we do math from where I was educated. Yud Gimel, Chav Gimel, Lamed Gimel, Mem Gimel, Nun Gimel. 50, what? 80. 49 years from Tavshin, Tavshin Gimel, till Tavshin, Tavshin Gimel, till Tavshin, 49 years, right? No, it's from betchilasa. what he heard from the from the Rebbe Dayat. This, it's simple words, but it's the profoundest words. To be able to really, what the Rebbe was telling this girl is, you know, I'm giving you this dollar, to recognize, to acknowledge, and to empower you, to be able to display and embody this love. I just heard recently that I didn't know this. I saw this. I saw this myself. And somebody told me recently that he met this Yid and he became a Baltruva from this. This moment, it has, it's back from the Derafrika, but told it up. He became a Baltruva from this moment. When he saw that, it transformed his whole life. I didn't know that. I was just standing there. I saw. But I want to share another moment I had. This was Pesach. This was the first night of Pesach. I was a child. I was before Bar Mitzvah. The Rebbe had a Minhig that Erev Pesach after Mincha, he would give matzah to people whoever wanted. But the later years, there were already a lot of people. So he would give to the Koilo. The Koilo Yungalite would come by. He would give everybody a few pounds and they would go downstairs to Shul and they would distribute matzah to whoever wanted to get. After Maidiv, when the Rebbe came up from Maidiv, before he went home to do his own seder with the Rebetzin, the Rebbe would give matzah to very few people. Basically, the people that worked in his house to help the Rebetzin, and the people that worked in his brother-in-law's house at Ashag to help his brother-in-law, and the people who worked in Moskidus, in the secretariat. a few people, around maybe 10, 15 people. One of the people who happened to get matzah every year, Pesach, was my father. He would get matzah after Maireth. Rabbi Khadakov would get, Rabbi Groner, Rabbi Klein, Zalman, Rabbi Zalman Gerardi, uh, Beryl Yunich, people who worked, uh, Rabbi Krinsky, Rabbi, Rabbi Simpson was in Brighton Beach. A few people. Because I was a child, So I could smuggle, you know, it was easier to get around. So I went in with my father for all the years, as I could, till my bar mitzvah, to get matzah together with him. The Rebbe would give children, whenever he gave children matzah, he would give a a broken piece of matzah, a piece of prusa. Now it was never a problem to find a broken piece, because in what you get from the matzah bakery, the problem is to find a whole piece, not to find a broken piece, right? Broken pieces, Baruch Hashem, You have a lot. To find a shleim is a chiddush. So children, under my mitzvah, the Rebbe would always give a prusa, a broken piece of matzah. And adults, he would usually give one whole matzah. (laughs) So uh, it was one year. I went in front of my father. And it came my turn. I was standing by the Rebbe's door. It was after night of the first night of Pesach. And the Rebbe had the matzah right in his office, in his room, right by the door on a table or a chair. And he would take and he would give you, and he would say, It was the brown bags, you know, they pack the matzah in those brown bags. And the Rebbe looks, and there's a whole matzah on top. So he picks it up to look under to get a broken matzah, because I was a kid. It's also a whole matzah. So he goes up, he goes further. It's all whole matzahs. I don't know how that happened. That from the matzah bakery on Obany Avenue, like I don't know how it happened. There were no broken matzahs. I never saw such a thing. Anyway, the Rebbe goes the third matzah, the fourth matzah. He's, he's picking up matzah after matzah. There's no broken matzah. And to children, he always gave broken matzahs. I kid you not, he went down, it was a whole pound, it was a pound or two pounds, whatever it was. Matzah after matzah, till the last one, they were all whole matzahs. He finished. I'm thinking to myself, right? Just give me a whole matzah. Nothing is going to happen. You don't tell? I don't tell. And they log in, what, 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 am I, what, what am I going to do with all whole matzah already? What, what, where am I going to go with all matzah? I didn't say anything. I was just standing there. It was a very long time because the Debbe was looking through the pile. The Nebuchadnezzar came to the bottom of the pile. I'll never forget this. He took both of his hands, one hand on top of the other, and he turned over the whole pile and he started to go again. In other words, he went down in one direction. Now he turned it around, and he went down again, so to speak, from bottom up. But this was, the matzah turned over again to ensure, because there has to be a broken matzah, and he went through the whole pile again. Matzah after matzah after matzah. But the first count was accurate. There was no broken matzah. The Rebbe finished, and there's no broken matzah. So I thought at that moment... The Rebbe will just give me a whole matzah, right? Take your matzah and get I could see, I can't tell you what the Rebbe was thinking, but I could see that the Rebbe was, so to speak, contemplating what to do. I saw that he didn't want to break a matzah. I saw. I saw that the Rebbe was hesitant. He didn't want to take a whole matzah and break it. He didn't want to. I saw that he didn't want to. So the Rebbe moved away and went into his, started to walk into his room to get a new, a new pound of matzah, to get a new bag of matzah. And I thought he's going to bring that, open it up. They were already untied. He just had to open it up and find a broken matzah. Cause he started, he like turned around and started to walk back into the room where there was more matzah. But as the Rebbe took one step away, he came back, he picked up a matzah and he broke it. And he gave me the broken piece, he looked at me in the eyes, and he said, I got my broken matzah, I left, my father came right after me, he got one whole matzah, and then he got a second whole matzah, for the Zeitung, for the newspaper, and he got a third, not whole matzah, but a, a piece of a broken matzah. Came out, the guy came over to him, this was the early 80s, mustama 80, 81, he said $10,000 for the matzah. <laughs> Guy comes over to him by the elevator. $10,000 for the matzah. He didn't. But uh, that was that. I was very happy I got my broken matzah. I didn't think about it much. The story was, uh, I experienced it. At some point in my life, I started to contemplate what really was the Indian, the Rebbe. Even though there were only whole matzahs, he didn't want to give me a whole matzah. and He didn't want to break the matzah. But he decided, instead of going to get a new package, ultimately he broke the matzah. And I have to say, I can't say for sure, it's just speculation, but I saw when the Rebbe broke the matzah, it wasn't the most comfortable thing. He broke it, there was a certain hesitancy, even though he did it at the end. And I have to say, you know, again, as I was thinking to myself, I said, you don't have to break it. <laughs> I'll be the first kid who gets a whole matzah. madash. <laughs> What's going to happen? I'll tell my mother I got a whole matzah? He didn't want. He wanted to give me a broken matzah. So I can't tell you the reason. I can't tell you the reason because I don't know the reason. Perhaps it was a blessing in the Rebbe's own inimitable way that I should be able to find my second half. Machzis HaShekel. Machzis HaShekel. Right? The Rebbe said in the last Vabrengin, Vayakel, it was Parshish the last Vabrengin. So he said, why do you give a machtsis? You should give a whole shekel. There's no other Indian in the base that you give dafke incomplete. You're supposed to give complete. You're not supposed to give half. The answer is, because if you give the complete, you're not giving the complete because you're half. <laughs> the only way you could be completed is by somebody else. So if you're going to give whole, you're going to remain incomplete. The only way you could, the was tzuch. The only way you could be complete is if you give half. Because somebody else will give your other half. So I think that was one thing. And for my, my, my personality, my life, it was a special blessing to be able to find my second half to complete me. Perhaps, however, there was also something deeper. And that is, it happens to be that in my journey of life, everybody has their journey, their shlichus. I encounter a lot of brokenness. I encounter a lot of brokenness. I hear people, I, I read people's letters, I meet people, and I see brokenness wherever I go. A lot of broken, broken hearts, broken marriages, broken souls, broken lives, brokenness, pain, hearts that are shattered. They're shattered, they're broken. And it's not so easy. It's not so easy to encounter it. There's a lot of people are sensitive and people are deep and people carry a lot. If you go around this room, right, and you go beyond the smiles, every person has a story. And the story has usually a little brokenness in it and sometimes a lot of brokenness in it. And you know better than I do. And I feel, today I feel, that the Rebbe was telling me something And empowering me. And that is, don't be afraid of a broken matzah. Don't be afraid of brokenness. Not in yourself and not in other people. When you see brokenness, don't run away. Don't close your eyes. Don't numb it. Don't go eat uh, sushi or potato chips. Have the courage and the love to be able to stay there and to be able to take the broken matzah, to embrace it, to hold on to it, to be there, to be present. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge within myself and it's a challenge, I think, with each other. We're often used to living in a culture or in a system or an environment where if you don't display perfection, if you display brokenness, it's like, what's going to happen? It's almost like struggle is evil. And if you're struggling with something, there's shame around it. But that's antithetical to the whole, to the whole of Judaism. <laughs> the whole of those of you who learned the mindmare, we finished the Maimur today, Basilagani Tavshin Chav Gimel. The mindmare of Basilagani of connected to this sweet year is Gimel. So the whole Nekudah of the Mimer, both both Shem Chav Gimel, Tav Shem Mem Gimel, is, soif, is in la Adin Katz, or lamata Adin tachlus. So an expression from Zoyer, what's Pshat Lomata Adin Tachlis? The light of Hashem extends downward, 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 till no end. There's no place or person that's too low, where he says, sorry, you're too low for me. ad Adin tachlus. Was Lamata. Lamata doesn't mean in your basement. Lamata means those places in our lives that feel so low, so detached. We become disassociated because of those places. Those places of absolute fragmentation and alienation. Over there, Lamata Adin Dachlis, to the point that you can't even get lower. Adin Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid. It's Eden safe over there. Hashem is there. There's 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 infinity there. It has to be explored. It has to be found. It has to be discovered. <clears throat> Katske Rebbe once said, he said in Yiddish, Sinishta, What did he say? "Sinistar aza krumazach veagleich vertel za Za How do I translate? There's nothing as crooked as the a gleich uh, vertel is a con artist smoothness. A, you deal with con artists ever in real estate or whatever? huh? Slick. Slick, very good. Slick, sly, smooth, the gift of gab. There's nothing as crooked and perverted. There's nothing as as straight as a slanted ladder, because it gets you up. There's nothing as black as the white shrouds in which we dress a corpse. And he said there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. Al says in what's a, a broken heart? Broken doesn't mean it's a mitzvah to break somebody's heart. A broken heart means you open up a door so that the light should come in. When the wall is blocking the sun, you have to open. It's not you want to break the wall, you want to create an opening that the light to come in. That's what a broken heart means. A broken heart is not a mitzvah to break a heart. It's the idea that there's no ego blocking the light. As somebody once said when I was young, I worship perfection. Today, I only look for things that have cracks inside of them. Because that's what allows the light to come in. The light comes in when there's cracks. Yeah, We live in a time today where people need to be able to feel comfortable to talk about their cracks. (laughs) To talk about their broken matzah. We know the whole matzah. We know that. We know that that everybody's perfect. We know that. We've been there. We know that your family is perfect and all the Shatchanim are chasing you. It's going to be like that Loyal vod. But today we've graduated, we have to be comfortable to be able to speak about cracks. And that's where the light comes in. And if we can create, every one of us, in your work and in your house, you create an environment, you create a, a space where people can feel love, they can feel trust, they can feel safety. And you'll only do it with other people if you do it with yourself. When your brokenness comes up, instead of killing yourself and knocking yourself down and telling yourself how evil you are, which is the regular way to do it, instead you can take it, you can you can embrace it, and this is your yachatz. You know, this is your, your afikoyman. This is the zeichel of Karim Pesach. You can really embrace it and you can make space for it. You can make space for it in other people. And when you make space for it in other people, you'll see their face changes. They become less tense. They let go. And when they let go, you could connect. Your children will be able to let go. The biggest khidish is your wife will be able to let go. I know you don't believe me. If you let go, he's laughing, I laughed. Try it. <laughs> okay, don't try it. <laughs> Maybe the hardest thing is... For, For you to let go. It's hard because there's so many voices. There's so many voices of judgment. So, since those are the last words I heard. So I want to share that with you tonight. I want to bless myself and bless all of you. And bless all of your loved ones. That we should be able to take those words from the dead. But this is for your love. And to be able to give that to people able to give that to ourselves, to be able to really create a world, a home, an environment where people can bond, where people can connect soul to soul, body to body, with full trust. There's nothing, trust me, there's nothing that helps people in life like creating places of trust. That's really what a fabrengan is supposed to be by Jonathan Sachs once said, what's the difference between all of us Shalom? What do you mean? A fabrengen, a sermon, and a party. <laughs> Some souls is no difference. But he said as follows. A party, you know a party, a Lebedic party, he said, everybody speaks and nobody listens. It's a party. By a sermon, one person speaks and nobody listens. Ames, kwez da." under do. And under that, one person. Party, everybody speaks. A he said, nobody speaks, and everybody listens. <laughs> it was a profound idea. So I know that I'm speaking. <laughs> I shouldn't be speaking. It says in Lakut Teodim, Parshas Sava. The Rebbe says, he says that. Uh, he says, they're learning training and in Eden for 3,000 years. What's Mashiach going to teach people that were in Gan Eden for 3,000 years? So the Valtarebbe says, he's going to teach Re'iyah. Re'iyah the Chachma. There's not going to be words. He's going to show you. He brings a story from the Arizal. the Arizal. once had a dremel. He snoozed off Shabbos afternoon. And he was talking in his sleep. When he woke up, Re'b Chaim Vital asked Darizal what was going on. So the Arizal says, if I speak for the next 80 years, I won't be able to tell you. What I just saw, It was secrets in Parshas Bilaam and Parshas Balak. The Rebbe says, "What's pshat? Pshat is the more you see, the less you speak. The more you talk, the less you see. Look who's talking!" But anyway,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? I say that triple speed was created for my shiurim. Most people, you know, you give a shiur thirty minutes, forty-five minutes is like whatever, like. And then there's some shagayim will give a share, you know, two hours. They still you have to tell them, right? I once heard from Doctor Metzky said it was a rav. He went on and on and on and on, and he finished finally the Russian. Somebody came over to him and said, Rebbe, you know, you don't speak so long. The whole shul was gone, like the kiddush club was complete. It was it took everybody in. So the rav says, "I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but there was no clock on the wall." He says, "There was no clock on the wall, but there was a calendar on the wall." <laughs> So uh, so that's why double speed and triple speed and quadruple speed and sectillion speed was created for certain people. The truth is, the closer we get to ge'ula, it's all going to be less words and more experiential. Most people grew up, people here grew up learning chesidus, but everything is words, 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 words. Nafesh HaLekis, Nafesh HaBahamis, Olamis, Nashamas, Alakos, Mamala, Saibav, Lifnat simpsum, lachat simpsum, kavre, shimwa, kudim, kudim, brudim, sviris, kesa, atik, arech. Yeah? Words. Now, daloi words. Now we're coming to a time of riyah riyah means experiential. When you experience something, it's not about words. Moshe was kvat pe, kvat loshim. Why? So Rebbe says: the more you see, the less you speak. The more you speak, the less you see. Moshe soy Words define it and articulate it and limit it. We need today less words. We need experience. How do you learn experience? It's not so easy to learn experience. Experience, words can be camouflaged within facades. Experience is either real or it's not real. Either you're experiencing or you're not experiencing. So there's words, 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 words. Words today are not filling the crowds. The crowds don't want words. They want to see it. What does it mean see it? I can't see with my eyes. I want to experience it in my nervous system. You want your nervous system, the goof, the goof, the psari The goof should fail it to experience it. I can't give somebody the experience if I don't have the experience. The experience. To have the experience we have to let go of so many fears and so many layers. Words are like big cover ups, they're cover ups. I feel stupid talking about what I'm saying. But uh, that's what I do, so you'll forgive me. Wow. Yes, that's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. So many layers, yeah, so many layers. There's a Breslov of Havar, Nachman of Breslov once said, wasn't even giving a speech and singing a song. He said, when you give a speech, if somebody starts talking in the middle of your speech, it's called interruption. What if I'm singing a song and somebody starts singing in the middle of my singing? It's called harmony. So he said the objective of life is to stop speaking and start singing. Those who speak, everybody's always interrupting them. And those who sing, everybody's harmonizing with them. So he said in life, stop speaking, start singing. And by the way, try it in the house. When you come home late, the problem is you're talking. You come home late, don't talk. Sing. If you talk, your spouse is going to interrupt you. If you sing, she'll harmonize with you. You come home late, you don't say, oh, I uh, there was traffic, whatever, I don't know the excuses, but uh, I meant, but there was a call, there was an emergency, whatever. Yeah. And then it's right away, you know, here we go, the predictable argument. You come home. And you're like, I am so happy to be your It is gewaldig to see you. What is she going to say? <laughs> you fill my heart with joy and with ecstasy. Good. You have a beautiful evening together. You could try it tonight when you come home. Because the kabbalah's Pondim is not going to be... Uh, Unless she's watching the Kabbalah pun, but now Zafka going to be the best Kabbalist pun. No words, just singing, just nigunim. Just nigunim. The ego doesn't like nigunim. The ego likes... You see, in a nigun is al So that's what Ibn Nachman said. I'm going to be mice of this. That there are people that even when they sing, they're still talking. And there are people, even when they talk, they're singing. So I want to bless you all, my dear brothers and friends. We should stop talking and start singing. We should stop using words and open ourselves up to experience. You say in the morning, Close your eyes, take a deep breath. And ask Hashem to allow you to experience the love. To be able to experience it in your body, in your nerves, in your brain, in your heart. To be able to feel it. Mamish to feel it. What would it be to feel? Because if you could feel it, then your children will feel it from you. You know what that means? Think did you the, does anybody here in the room feel do you know what it feels to be loved? Don't all raise your hand, mamish at the same moment, please. Laat laat. Does do we know what it feels? Not I know the words. I'm I'm good with words. <laughs> I'm good with words. We know words. Do you know what it does your nervous system love? Does your guf know the guf weißtach alts? Somebody wrote a book, Beslevanda, The Body Keeps the Score. So I showed Sada Tavshin Yur Alev, the Rebbe said a Sicha. It's mm-hmm. before your Tshvat. He said it says in Zoyar that Avram and Surah is, is the nesham and the Guph. Avram is the Guph, the body is the soul. It says in Rayim Ahmed. And, and, and Surah is the body. So the Rebbe asked, I was like, what's Pshat? Kaila Shetayim Mela Chesada Shmabu Kaila. Whatever Sarah says, you should listen. Whatever your Guph says, you should listen. Weren't we taught that whatever your body says, you shouldn't listen? So the Rebbe said, "That's that's a paradigm of gullus." But the others, the Gemara says, "The others lived in a paradigm of geula, and in geula you listen to your body. Whatever the goof says, you have to listen to the goof. This was 1950. 30 years later, they started to be Megala, everything about what the body has. The body knows everything. The nervous system, the body, somatic healing, and energy healing, and bodily healing, etc. You have to listen to the goof. So, means that the guf is all filling, the body. Why? Because when the goof experiences, it's internalized, it's real. And then the keli opens up and you could feel the neshama. Yeah. The Rebbe Marash says, The Rebbe used to say this a lot, Now the goof gets chayis from the neshama. It says after Mashiach comes, the neshama is going to be nourished from the goof. How? <laughs> the Hest? Because the guf is bono Bechart is in the Guth. The Pchit is in the goof? That's what it says in Tanya, Perech So the Guth has something very special. Of course, if the Guth, the Guth can also take you downward. But the real Guth is, is more divine in some ways than the Neshama. It says in Tanya, Perech Mem U you know the lashu. Who HaGuf HaChumri khumri. Anid the al says, where was the p'chira? The b'chir wasn't because is higher. The neshama is different. You did not have to choose the soul. If you're going to buy a house, and the guy who's selling you the house in Pomona says, I have a house to sell you. I also have a car. I'm not interested in a car. I'm interested in a house. There's only one house. There's nothing to choose from. If there's two houses, you can choose. If the choice of Hashem was in the soul, the chelak le there's no competition. If you want the Hashem, it's unique. So where was the pchira and the The Best. Ah. So when the pchira is in the Guf, the Hashem is going to be a The Hashem is going to be a kabbal from the gulf. But my point here is not the words. My point is. That this is for your love, right? You could feel it, you can experience it, that's safety. So, I want to use this opportunity to bless all of us and myself and all of us who are joining virtually. That we should be able to be people that give this gift to others and give this gift to ourselves. And the only way I can do it is if I become a channel, I open myself up. To the divine. And not to be afraid of broken Matzas. Not to be afraid of broken people. Don't, don't look the other way. You don't have to close your eyes. Not in yourself and not in others. Take it and embrace it. And then we'll reveal that Because everyone has the light. Everybody. You don't have to create people. You just have to let them find themselves. And the only way you can let them find yourself is if you, somehow we can do it for each other. We can't do it ourselves. We need each other. If I can create a space for you, you can create a space for me. What does this mean Practically. So the practical exercise is, the next time somebody tells you something, right, we who grew up in yeshiva, we know that what's called a successful yeshiva bocher, you have a fast, feisty, and aggressive response. A guy came to me who was having shalom bias issues. I said, it's not so complicated. Everything you were told that would make you excel in yeshiva is causing a disaster in your house said, so in Yeshiva, you knew that if the, the greatest way to become a Hashavabach in his particular Yeshiva was, if you could find how the Rosh Yeshiva is wrong. He's giving a Shia, and you could show him that he forgot a Rambam. It's the best thing you can do. For your Shidduch, for your reputation, for your, for your success. If you could show that he didn't understand Taishviz, or he's contradicting another Taishviz, you're a winner. Nobel Prize. In the middle of the Shia, like Mamish, when he's at the punchline, and everybody is in awe, and you could say, you forgot a taismus. You forgot the Taisvus. Oh, cavaldic. Cavaldic you're done. Now you get married, you think this is how, what you're supposed to do with your wife, right? <laughs> so your wife tells you something, and she says it passionately, just like the Rosh Hashiva. And you're like, you don't know the Rambam. The Rambam, Mammosh says, Fakert. There's also a Sikha Fakert. There's also a Maimah faket." And even yesterday, now you're waiting for her to say, wow, I knew I married a genius. I am such a lucky woman. I can't thank God enough for bringing us together. <laughs> and somehow, the response that you got in Yeshiva <laughs> is not working out. <laughs> So I explained to this bacher <laughs> that you gotta change the paradigm a little bit. When somebody tells something that shrig- says you that triggers you, don't jump. Be curious. Listen to what just happened inside of you. Listen to your broken matzah. <laughs> Explore it. Bring it out. Talk about it respectfully. And if you're two partners who can talk to each other on that level about the broken matzahs, you'll be able to heal each other in a very powerful way. Your child says something to you, you're triggered, you want to jump, you want to prove him wrong, you want to convince him how wrong he is, or convince her how wrong she is. But usually, in most cases, it's counterproductive. You'll go to a much deeper place if you could be aware of what's happening inside of you when they say those words to you. And then you could make a choice from which place to respond from from a place of instinctive triggers where you're overwhelmed, angry, frightened, which is usually a part of you that is wounded or a part of me that's wounded, or to respond from a place of, of deep connection. Loshon of Tanya, to respond from your nefesh or from your nefesh from your nefesh or your nefesh Language of neuroscience, to respond from your reptilian brain, or to respond from your prefrontal cortex. You could respond from both. One is a survival mechanism. It's like there's a fire alarm. Or to respond from a place of wholeness, of elokus, of einsoyf. And then it's a different response. It's hard because there's a struggle. You have to believe that oydinsoyf lamata adin taklas. So this is, this is, the learn Sid not with words, but with experience. Let it touch you. Open yourself up to it. could be even five minutes, but those five minutes should be authentic. Real, plimidic. Then I show up to life from a different place. Instead of showing up from a place of fear and control, you show up from a place of love. And acceptance, and trust, and instead of pouncing on you, <laughs> I can embrace, and I could connect, and that's where miracles happen. Like the Mittler Rebbe said, when two Jews speak in Inyanay aveida two people sit down and they speak about real things. Mittler Rebbe said, "It's nefesh Bahamas. It's two godly souls. Ganging up, so to speak, against one animal soul, not ganging up, but it's two an- divine souls. So I once heard the Rebbe said over a and he said it doesn't. Uh, mathematically, it's not the case. It's two divine souls against two animal souls Why did the Mitl Rebbe say it's two against one? It's not two against one. It's two against two. So the Rebbe said, the nefesh by definition is interested in the other person's nefesh because the godly part of you is one. It's one with the world. It's one with everything. It's one with Hashem. Hashem is oneness. So my nefesh ha is in love with your nefesh ha We're connected. My nefesh bahamis is my reptilian brain. An alligator is interested in an alligator, and not in anything else. Churchill said appeasement is feeding the alligator in the hope that he's going to eat you last. That's what appeasement looks like. That's Israel with Oslo and how they deal with terrorist attacks. Appeasement—you feed the alligator or the crocodile, and you hope he'll eat you last. After he finishes the Lvivson and the Sherhabar Habar and everything else, you're going to be the last one. But till then, you're going to be there to enjoy the meal. A lizard, a reptile—it knows about a lizard. That's it. It knows about <laughs> a lizard. Doesn't have a vision of cosmic oneness of Diri You can't expect that. When I'm in my lizard brain, all I'm thinking about is survival. Whatever that looks like. Survival. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, whatever it is. Narcissism, other things. I'm just busy surviving. I can't really connect to you. I don't have that ability. I'm too defensive. Too defensive. Right? By the way, when your kids start getting older, they're going to start telling you things about your parenting. That's the Seder today used to be in the Hadibris, it was Kabedes of Simecha. They changed it to Kabedes Bincha Ves I don't know who changed it, but somebody changed the text recently. I was in Shul by me, so somebody says, Rabbi, why, why? He's a kid, a teenager. He says, Rabbi, why, why You think it's easy raising parents today? I said, no, it's very hard. It's very, very hard. I know, I'm dealing with it. Very hard to raise, but Mechanich your parents is not so simple. You gotta teach them so many new stuff. <laughs> I was a, a, a guy was a smart man, Mark Twain. He once said, When I was nine, my father was a genius. When I was 19, he was an idiot. Now I'm 29, I have a bunch of kids, and he has some smart things to say. It's funny how much the old man learned in 10 years. <laughs> I so said, not long ago, I said, so, I said what's the story with the Kaiman Yeah, you hide the matzah very, very well under the couch, yeah, nine pillows. Somehow one of your kids finds it, and then he wants his prize, yeah? In my days, it used to be, if you were a schnutter, you got potato chips. If you were a Rockefeller, you got a calculator. Calculator. If you were a musk, you got a Parker pen. Today, you give your son a calculator for the he'll call child services on you for abuse. It's a private yacht, a private jet, a Lamborghini. If your mama's is just snorted a tablet, but if it's anything less than that, you're the most abusive person in the world. Yeah, your father ever came to your seder party today? If you don't come to your seder party, your wife is going to send you a shiva adur again. But in any case, how do we get into this? Ah, so the afikomen, yeah. So I told him like this: It works like this. We hide stuff, yeah. Whatever we hide, our children expose. That's the story of Dafi Kaiman. A lot of things were hidden for many, many years. That's the system. The children today are bringing everything out. At some point when they get a little older, they start sharing with you what they think about you as parents. When they're four years old, they don't. When they're 14, depends what type of kid you have. I know some of you have 14-year-olds going on 99. Adichis but at some point, they're going to say, Ma, Ta, you were really clueless, you know that, yeah? You're going to hear stuff and it's not going to be easy. Now the you nefesh. they know what it was to pay tuition. Your kids know what it is to pay tuition and cover a mortgage and just buy regular dinner and shoppers They don't know. So the natural instinct is to become defensive and tell them you're ungrateful you're narcissistic. You're selfish, spoiled brats like all your classmates, right? And if you're sophisticated, you explain to them we did the best we can, and you should be thankful. And we're not perfect, and you're very proud of yourself. The Emma is you just reacted from your nefesh Abahamis, the Hainu, your reptilian brain. In Tanya, there's three, there's four souls: nefesh Achiyunis, nefesh Abahamis, nefesh Asichlas, nefesh Shalikis. When Rebbe wrote it in the 1700s, you had to believe in Bermuna. al Rebbe knew what he's talking about. 1980s, they started to give us scans from the brain. You take a look at scans and you see Tanya in the scans. Nefershahiyu, amygdala, reptilian brain, the lizard, the crocodile, the alligator. If you're a nice guy, it's a lizard. If you're you, you're an alligator. But it's a rept, you're a reptile. Neferyu. Neferbahaas is the limbic brain. the elephant chimpanzee, monkey, some of you are mouse, rats, whatever, you'll ask your mother-in-law. But whatever it is, the limbic brain, emotional memory, you're an elephant. Elephants remember everything and they're emotional. You're a puppy, you're a dog. No, no, in in a very powerful way. It says in Kabbalah, kelev, kuloy leiv, kelev, it's very emotional. Elephants, kevaldik, memories, connections, they remember everything. Deep connections, but it's the limbic brain, nefesh Bahamas. nefesh asichlis, prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, prefrontal lobes, one is the stem of the brain, you go higher, it's more evolved, more developed, and then the prefrontal only develops the Gemari says in condition when you're 24. Executive functioning, long-term thinking, delaying gratification, morality, pros versus cons, bigger picture, it's, it's a whole different thing, Nefesh Then you have the Nefesh HaLakiz. Nefesh won't show up on CAT scans because they still didn't figure out how to take a picture of God, <laughs> Godliness, you don't take a picture of. But the nefesh kiss the nefesh kiss is kule einsoif. It's pure infinity. Kule Kulei kule einsoif. It's full of oneness. Over there, there's It's a place of pure transcendence. Every moment, you have to ask yourself, which brain are you responding from? Your teenage girl tells you something. Before you respond, ask yourself, is this going to be a nefesh response? A Nefesh Bahamas response, A Nefesh HaSikhlis response, you're capable of a Nefesh Kiss response. Take a deep breath, go into your Chelech ask your Nefesh what does my girl need to hear? And that's how you respond. Doesn't mean you don't have a Nefesh HaBahamis, Bahamas is The crocodile is a crocodile, the dog is a dog. They're all cute little puppies and animals. Especially a lizard, a salamandra, a frog. A cockroach, a spider, whatever your reptile looks like. I don't want to mix into politics. You'll ask your therapist. Yeah. Adam Kiyakov Mikem, Minabahema, Minabakar, Minatzain, you're a Sharnagach, you're a Kesev, you're an Az, you're a Tur, you're a benyoina, whatever it is. Yeah. It could be all, all together sometimes. So Sharnagach. Was Laxto? Which one resonated? <laughs> huh? there was a in Yerushalayim, it was a Magid. His name was Rav Shalom Mordechai Shvadron. You remember Rav Shvadron? He's a very, he's a funny man. He was an uncle of the Maharsham, the Berzhan Erov, the Berzhan so, so he was a very, he was a very, he was a colorful personality. So he used to tell stories with a Yerushalmi song, with a Yerushalmi sing song. So he once said, that a Bacher came to him. They called him the Yerushalayim a Magad, Yerushalayim a preacher. The Bacher told him that he's very upset. Why is he upset? Because he wishes Hashem would have made him like a behemoth. He watches cows and horses and he sees, number one, they don't have to go to the bathroom. Wherever they need to do what they have to do, they can do it. Number one. Number two, there's no Shachris min There's no Tefillin. There's no bruches, there's no tzitzis, yeah? In this crowd you can say there's no chitos, there's no rambam, yeah? Not even dafayomi, garnished. Not Yerushalmi, not bavli. In other words, they also, he says, you know, they don't have to eat with a fork, with a knife, with a spoon, with a plate. They don't have to get dressed in the morning. He says, me, I get dressed, and there's a bathroom with a shachris with that tefillin, with brushing teeth, with plates, with forks, with knives. And the boy starts crying. And he says in Yiddish, he said with a nigan, he says, God Almighty, why didn't you create me as a mammal, as an animal? So the boy I have to say it in Yiddish. And then I'll translate, he said, and he's sobbing and asking God why he wasn't created as a behemoth. And I tell him, Bacher, Bacher, du hast nicht was zu weinen, du bist a behemer. Bacher, Bacher, you have no reason to weep. Du bist a behemer, you're exactly, exactly what you wanted to be, that's what you are. Okay, so he was saying it, you know, in his, in his drushes, geschmacke meis. But on a more authentic level, yeah." You learn Tanya, you learn chassidus. you have to be able to identify which part of you is taking over now. And you don't have to repress the other part and, and make believe it doesn't exist. The whole Chiddush of the Alter and Tanya is that the Bainini can deal with different voices simultaneously. It's beautiful. You don't have to be ashamed, you don't have to amputate, you don't have to make believe you're something you're not. You have to bring in all parts into the relationship. That's Sefer Shil Beninim. It's a whole different Indian. The minor Basile Gani, we learned the Baal says, Tachtiyim, Shniyim, There's three levels to the Teva. So the Baal says, in every word, in every Teva, in every word, there's Olamis, there's Neshamis, and there's Elokus. In every word, there's different layers. There's the perspective of the world, the perspective of the soul, the perspective of pure Ain you always have to see in every word the three layers and bring them together. Connect them. In our life, what it means in a very simple practical level, at least in this context, is your child says something to you. It was a big, uh, There was, um, was a Jew, he was an Auschwitz survivor. That I held very much from a shit in psychology. His name was Viktor Frankl. So he used to say that when you have stimuli, when somebody says something stimuli bef- between stimuli and reaction, between stimuli and response, there's a tiny little space. And in that space, that's where human freedom and growth exists. So you said something to me ah! right? Between what you said and my response, there's a tiny space. If you hold on to that space, that's where you have khira. That's where you become a person. If you delete that space, I become an alligator <laughs> or an elephant. Which sometimes you're cute. Elephants are cute, let's face it. I happen to have an affinity for animals. I also like my nafashabahamas, mizman, Malazma. But animals are very special. So the Altar is Zvart and is you don't destroy your nefesh of Bahamas. You open it up. You enlighten it. You educate it. You talk to it. You have to have a conversation with it. You don't destroy parts. You don't destroy broken matzahs. You talk to them. So when we're in relationships and something comes our way, it could be an arrow, and you take it as an arrow, and then you shoot a bullet. You shot an arrow, I'll shoot a bullet. But that means I'm in a place of war. I'm in a place of fear. And some of us are. Especially if in your childhood you had to defend yourself so much, you don't even know, you're always in a place of war. Whatever your wife says, it's a declaration of war. It's so almost like 1939, Britain and Germany. Declaration of war. She said, could you go get wine for Shabbos? Declaration of war. You forgot to bring challah? War. Why are you late? War. Mamush a declaration of war. It's Marshal Melchemet Olamash Lishit, third world war. Those of you who don't understand what I'm talking about, Ashrechem, you can leave. You can leave. Those of you who do understand what I'm talking about, don't leave. (laughs) Stay. And if you're feeling that, it has nothing to do with the other person. When the Balshamtiv said every person is a mirror, the Balshamtiv understood this better than everybody. If that's what you're feeling, it has very little to do with the other person. Doesn't mean the other person is perfect. But I have to be able to really see why is it war? Why what? What what what? And you know what? You begin a journey of birth, of discovery. It's it's humbling, but it's very, very meaningful. And we live today in a generation where people don't want to be robotic Jews, they want to be enthusiastic Jews. So generation before Gerullah, people want authenticity, plimias. So zayn dudach not superficial. For it not to be superficial, I have to be able to be aware of what's happening. So that's our blessing tonight, one of our blessings that the Rebbe's words, this is for your love, should be able to be internalized in all of us. We should be able to give that to people, to give that to ourselves. should be able to hold on to the broken matzahs in ourselves and in others. And we should be able to respond in a way that brings real connection. Because there's no joy like the joy of connection, like the joy of oneness, like the joy of achdus. There's nothing like it. We learned today in the Maimon that when Yaakov died, when Yaakov passed away, it says it was oval k- covered le mitzrayim. So says it wasn't an oval for mitzrayim, it was an oval for Yaakov's family. So says the worst people who suffered from Yaakov's passing was the mitzvim. Because they became, Pare lost touch with Kedusha and he became Leah because when Yaakov was alive, he knew the Nilus was coming up every day because of Yaakov's bracha. Once Yaakov passed away, he can detach from himself. It was the worst moment for Mitzrayim when the one who suffers most from Klippa is Klippa. Because really it's Lamata so Takhlas. when you have to be who you're not, it's too painful. Whenever we have to be confrontational, divisive, in other words, we're in war, the worst victims of that are not just our families, them too, but also you yourself. That's why you have no menuchas anafish. That's why this one is binging and this one is on the screen all day and this one is texting while I'm talking and this one is watching clips, my clips or other clips. If you're watching my clips, it's nishke If you're watching Netflix, it's Ananda Inyan. You don't have to do it, Mama, in front of me. Just joking. But the Nikhuda is, we're busy numbing. Why are we busy numbing? Because it's hard. Life is hard. I want to bless you that when you go home at night... <laughs> When you go home at night, before you, before you open the door, you should say, ah, thank you Hashem that I can come home to such a house. I know some people come to a house and before they open the door, their heart is filled with butterflies. Maybe there's a fabrengan tonight. Let me find out. Maybe there's a in, Maybe there's a Sheer. No, no Sheer. Maybe there's a Sheer. Right? But before you come home, the office should be the place where you have to be to make parnasa. You come out of the car, already your heart is swelling from from, from, from Nesimcha. Ah! For this, you have to be able to work on it. It's not so simple. But to reach that place of trust, of, of oneness, and then when you come in, it's a whole different energy. It's, it's a different ambiance. There was a Yid who worked in the Rebbe's house. His name was Ebsholenberg Hansberg. Shavar I was once in of 12 o'clock midnight, buying pampers. My wife sent me out to buy pampers. Who do I meet? Ebsholenberg Hansberg. So I thought midnight you can get up, is a good story, you know? So I said, it's me Epis. So I asked him, I asked him, I said, when did Rebbe wanted to call his wife in the house, what did he call her? Like if the Rebbe was sitting on the couch and he wanted a cup of tea or he wanted to speak to her, what did he say? Did he say, Musya, Chaya Mushk? Like, what did he say? How did he call I just asked. He said, I don't know. So I said, come on, you were there for 40 years. 40 years. He looks at me, he says, He never once called his wife to come over to him he wanted to tell her something, he stood up and went over to her. So he never heard the Rebbe calling her name. <laughs> I said, 40 years? He never sat on the couch, a cup of tea? He went over and he asked what he wanted to ask. He never, so he doesn't know what he called her. <laughs> she would have been happy to make him a cup of tea. Huh? They had, but he told me, I don't know. I said, I'm not lying to you. I Pasha never heard him call her, because if he wanted something, he went over to her. She didn't have to call her. He said it was once your Dalat Kislev. It was their anniversary. So, uh, so, uh, the Rebbe came home. The said would always greet the Rebbe. Even if it was very late, you know, three, four, five of them, she always stayed up for him. After Yechidus, so he said it was Yudalat Kislev, the Rebbe came home, and she was in the hall, he walked into the house, and he saw her, and he picked up his hands, and he said, Mazel Tov, Haynt is Dachunze today is our Yom Then he saw that there was somebody in the house there, and he was quiet, because it was like an intimate, intimate moment. Zalman Gerari called Yudalat Kislev, Zalman Gerari, and the Rebbe usually wouldn't pick up the phone in the house. Usually somebody working there would pick up the phone. But it happened to me that Zamagari called, the Rebbe picked up the phone. So he didn't realize. So he thought it was one of the Mishamshem. So he said, Can I speak with the Rebbe? Soon? So the Rebbe, he didn't realize. So the Rebbe says, What do you need? Can you leave a message? I guess she was busy. He says, For the wedding, I wanted to wish a Mazeltov. The Rebbe said, <laughs> I'm a part of it, then he realized that it wasn't the Gansberg or Nautic or whoever worked over there. <laughs> Trying to bring out, uh, I don't know if he hung up, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, that I don't know. I heard this, I think, from his daughter or from his son. What I'm bringing out is, it's a very special thing if you could come home and walk in, right? Your heart opens your hand is Even that on your anniversary. For this, we have to do avodah. What's shat avodah? Avodah doesn't mean avodah. You know, you drill a hole in your heart. Avodah means that you become aware of what's the nefesh of Bahamas, what's the nefesh of Chiyunis, what's the nefesh of Siklis, what's the nefesh of Likis, and then you choose to connect from a place of trust and love and oneness. L'chayim. 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 Now, I want to sing a special nigan for all of our children. Everyone who's here for Gashmias and everyone who's joining us for all of our children. Habayniakili. You know Haben Ephraim? Habayniakili. Okay, Simcha
0: says
1: I have to talk.
0: the real one, the real one, the authentic one. That the
1: the niggin is the oil and the the, the, the talk, the words are the caleb. Oil is the kelim. We the oil. And I'm bringing in the kelim. Oil is, and sham is, and the is is without kelim. The sham is, a kalem. Kalem of Atzilus. And oil is, pirud. What do you need more? Where do you have a better map of reality? Huh? Alakus. the name? The Baal Shem says in every word you have to see the Neshamus, and Alakus. If not, don't finish the word. You didn't finish with the word. Don't go to the next word. <laughs> That's why davening took a long time by the Baal Shem You don't go to the next word. You didn't see all, earl- all three. three, all three, and then you have to connect them. First, you have to see all three, then you have to connect them. There's once a maima lecha malibi kimmel the sluchis tafshen chav that ever did it in that pasuk. He explained the pasuk according to erlumus, and then a shamus, and then a lekus. Chama libi bak shufonai spanach no more lchayim. And this was his answer. The Voshemtov's answer to his anxiety about the uh, Mashiach. I mean, yeah, he's, he's That was the anxiety. Exa- yeah, an exa- anxiety. No, yeah. that was the answer to his anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I said it in the Sheer. Ah. Voshemtov writes in a letter to his brother-in-law the Bereshit I said in the Sheer that when he Bereshit Shana Tovkuv Zion, he had on his Shomer. That's when he met Mashiach and he asked him, "When are you coming?". He said, That's what the Bar Shem Tev revealed in the letter that they told them And every word is nashamas, and you have to bring it together. Teva means word. Shnye, so whenever you have a conversation with anybody you have to stop and say, Are we talking Olamas? Are we talking shamas? Are we talking alakus?" Which one? Are we on the lower part of the table You have to
2: ask yourself, are you the the
1: Neshama, or are you You're All three. No, you? The question is: What frequency is the conversation happening on? If it's no. happening in Oylem, it's one in your... Tachdiyim, that's where the garbage was. Neshama's the, the second level, that's where the animals were. And uh, the third level is where Noyach was. But all three have to come together. The B'A'Sham to say have to bring them together. There's uh, oilemus, nishammus, and alukus. There's fabrengim also. There's oilemus, there's nishammus, and there's alukus. That's me, though. That means we'll when you it. look at me or when I look at you, I could see oilemus. I could see nishamma, and I could see alukus. Depends which, yeah. which prescription of glasses you're wearing. The... Not him, him also. Everyone. No uh uh-huh. no, no one is complete by itself. Of course, they all have to join, but you have to know which frequency you're on. The Moshiach said Tsoyar taasala You have to open up light into the word. Tsoyar. Tsoyar means light. You have to open up light into the teva. How do you open up light? So he said, when you bring together, when you align, Ayla Mistosham Mistoshas. That's the theme of Basilogani, Gimel, this word. Everybody knows that, or not everybody knows, but the story behind the Basilogani. The mind of Basi Lagani is that the, the Bala'i the Frida the Rebbe the last years of his life, it was hard for him to speak. So instead of speaking, saying my Marim, he would give them out in writing, in south and they would publish it and the Olam would learn it. For, for, for the different Yom for the Yomim Taivim, for the holidays, Tovshin Yud, 1950, Yud Shvat is the yard site of his grandmother. Rebbe the wife of the Rebbe Marash. Her yard site is Yud Shvat. His mother's yard site was Yud Gimel Shvat, is Yud Gimushvat. Rabbi Sin daughter. She's buried right near the oil. She passed away Tafshin Beis, the wife of the Rebbe Arshab. So, uh, so for the yurtzeit of his grandmother, the Rebbe Dayatz gave out a maimer. Which maimer was it? It was a maimer, on the words, The maimer had 20 chapters, has 20 chapters. So he gave out the first five chapters to be published for Shabbos, Yud Shvat. Tovshin Yud. Yud Shvat was Shabbos. The second five chapters for Yud Gimel Shvat, the yurtzeit of his mother. The third five chapters for Purim. And the last five chapters for Bez Nissen, the art side of his father. It's so a mime of 20 prakim. Started off with the Pasik Basilagani Achaisikala, which is from Shira Shirin boy. I once saw the original Kuntras that was published in 1950. It said Schlitter, the Schlitter was missing a Yud. It's interesting, the Schlitter, the Friedrich Rebbe's name was, Chakad Murschlitter was missing a Yud. Huh? In that Kuntras. And we gave it out to learn for Shabbos. And that Shabbos morning, 10 to 8 in the morning, was the Histalkus On the second floor of 770, it was the Histalkus. Yud boy. So the Rebbe gave out, uh, my mother already He gave out for Purim, for Yud Gimel, he gave out the next one and Purim and Beis till till the Maimah was complete. It was already after the Histalkus. The next year, Yud Shvat, by the Fabreng and Tavshin Aleph, when the Rebbe was Meqabal, the Naseas. So he never said, the way they knew that he was Makabal officially, the Naseas, to become a Rebbe, was by saying the Maimer, And he said the Meimer Basilegani, that the uh, Rebbe Rayadz gave out the year before, and he started off, you can hear it on the tape, the Maimer was the Rebbe Terezia for the Bo, Silagani, Achai Sikala, and he said the Maimer. And every year he would say the same Aimer, but he would focus on a different chapter of the 20 chapters. Right? So Tavshin Yud Aleph was Ois Aleph. Tavshin Yud Beis was Ois Beis. Right? Tavshin Chav Gimel was Ois Yud Gimel. Tavshin Lamed, he finished. Ois Chav. Tavshin Lamed Aleph, the Rebbe started again. Ois Aleph, second time. The Rebbe never finished the second time because Tavshin Mamches, after the and passed away, a few months later the Rebbe stopped saying my motto. The last maimer was in the summer, after that he didn't say maimara. There were two exceptions, out of Pesach, out of Shavuos, but generally he stopped. So the last maimer he said was, for Yud Shvat was Tav Memchas, 1988. So it was Ois Yud But he never finished Ois Yutes and Ois That was never finished the second series. He stopped. After Tav Memchas, there were very few maimara. For whatever reason, the Rebbe stopped saying maimara, he also stopped fabreying in the middle of the week. So this year is Ois Yud Gimel, in the series, the fourth time, it's, it's Tav Shem Pei Gimel is Yud Gimel, that's why this year they learned Chav Gimel and Mem Gimel, because those were the two times. But it was once a Fabreng in Yud Shvat, actually the year that some of us were born, Tav Shalam at Be'ez, 1972, and uh, the Rebbe then started over the Fabreng and he said something very, very powerful, very meaningful, he said that essentially the Fridic Rebbe his father-in-law was giving out a Mimer for the day of his own istalkos. he gave it out for the yard set of his Baba of Rebbe Tzernifke. but the pile, it was fascinating because he gave a Mimer to learn for that Shabbos which was the Mimer's that's why it became the Mimer Basilagani that's learned every year so he said so obviously something in this Mimer has his last message like a tzavo. Like a final, what you call a final will and testament, this mimer has the, the message that he wanted to leave the world with before his estalkas. So the devil said then that the opening of the mimmer is, Basi So the major says, Lagan ella legani Lignuni. That's how the maimer begins. The Basi doesn't say, I came to the garden. So I came to my garden. In other words, I came to my own place. I came back. I didn't come to the house. I came to my house. I came to my... That's the Pasuk in Shina I came to my garden. Lignuni. This was my gununi. a chuppah that they would make for a and kala pavilion. They would live there during the Brachas. It says, I came back to the place where I used to be, where my presence... Was present the but He goes through the whole inya with the seven, uh, the seven things that caused the shchina to depart, and then the seven sadikim who brought it back, and Mersha was the seventh. So the Rebbe said, "Why was this the 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 that the Rebbe Nayatz gave over to the world to the Chassidim the Shambhus of his stalkus?" And the Rebbe explained as follows. I'm just going to say one point. If you look at the surface of the Friedrich Rebbe's life, he lived through the darkest point of Jewish history. He became a Rebbe in 1920. If you know what was happening in 1920, in 1917 was the Bolshevik Revolution. The Bolsheviks overthrew the Tsar, Nicholas II, the Romanov family, Later, they found that they executed him and his wife and all of his children. It was a pretty, uh, pretty bloody story. And the Bolsheviks took over. And then there was a civil war for a few years until the the commies won, and Lenin took over the country. It was Lenin and Stalin and Trotsky. And then when Lenin died in 1924. Stalin took over and his reign of terror lasted for 30 years, till March 1953. Put him, Tovshin Yudgimel. Hoorah, hoorah. And, uh, then Khrushchev took over. Today we have Putin. Huh? Zelensky, you mean. <laughs> so, uh, the Rebbe HaYat, the Rebbe HaShah passed away in 1920 in Rostov, as I mentioned earlier.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when the Rebbe, the Rebbe HaYat took over the Nesiyahs, it was one of the darkest periods. Stalin would go on to murder 40, 50 million people over the next years. The darkness was, was incomprehensible, what was going on in Russia. Most people don't know because the Holocaust was so dark, it eclipsed the story of Russian Jewry. But the story of Soviet Jewry is an untold story. Most people don't know what happened though during those years. You no, know, it says, Zelu Every power and holiness has a power in unholiness. They balance out each other, so there should be choice. So if you want to understand the Gdusha, the holiness, the greatness of the Rebbe Dayat, of the Baal you have to ask one thing: Who was his loomaza? Who was uh, who was on the other side? And the answer is Stalin. <laughs> Stalin, I'm laughing. Stalin was probably the greatest, or one of the greatest, murderers in history. His darkness—it's on—and the free the the was his his loomaza. So it gives you a little appreciation. If Stalin killed more people than Hitler. Just to put it in perspective. So, Kulai Sog Yachtov, the Rebbe's father before his petition said, Kulai Sog, Sug Stalin and Hitler, in Hitler, in the Russian, Gimel and Hay are interchangeable. Kulai Sog Yachtov, it's all dirt and filth, he said, Tafs and Stalin and Gitler. But he killed more people than, uh, the Tsarayehuddin from Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Ah? Uh-huh. Kulay sog yachtav, einay se toiv gamecha. The Tehillim, this is <laughs> main sog for Russian sigim shmutz, psilus, filth, dirt. The Rebbe started gezokt in Al in Kazakhstan, Tovshindal, before Spiteri said sog is Stalin and and Hitler.
2: He said it even
1: in the Dnieper. Really. And the Dnieper Petrovsky was already Tovshindaliktes. He left there so. I'm not going to argue with a historian. Okay. And he went to prison, Taka. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was one of the darkest periods of history. And the Rebunayats remained the Kabarnit. He remained the captain of the ship until he left Russia. He took Akhraya's. For the millions and millions of, most of Jews lived in Russia at the time, and he t- exclusively took exclusive responsibility for it. Other people, either they became, either they escaped the country, even Gaddafi Yisrael, or they maintained a low profile. And many people criticized him. They said, uh, it's a worthless battle. Finally, he left, and he came to Poland, and a few years later it was the Second World War, in 1939 and he barely escaped from Hitler's occupied Warsaw, and he came to America. And in America, he had powerful assimilation, and he had to start all over again, literally from scratch, in a whole different angle, because America the challenge was the exact opposite of Russia and Poland. Now comes Yud. that is about to leave the world. What would you expect his last message to be? Baruch Shepotrani, Baruch Shepotrani. this is a sick place, this is an insane world, it's truly dark, the amount of death that he saw, I heard from Chaim Baruch told me that he heard from Rebbe Tzamechamudina, the Rebbe Hayat's wife, that she told him, she told this to him directly, he told this to me, that she once went into her husband after Yechidah's. He would, it was echidus, and she went into him afterwards. And he was sobbing like like a like a baby. He was sobbing, sobbing. And she got scared. Her husband was bashed, sobbing, unstoppable. And he looked at his wife. It was hard for her to hear. She had a so I, I don't know, if she read his lips or whatever. But he said she said this over the chaim Baruch. He looked at her. He said it was after echidus, so he heard a lot of people that came to him. From the tzadis, from the Yiddish folk. It's impossible, it's so hard to bear the, the challenges, the distress, the tzaddas of the Jewish people. You're talking about the darkest period of Jewish history. Between Stalin and Hitler was the greatest churban, I don't know, probably ever. It was always the churban by it was a crazy churban. Then you had the crusades, he had the Spanish expulsion, he had the Khmelanetsky pogroms were horrific. Ah, Tachvatat is <laughs> Khmelanetsky, Bogdan Khmelanetsky. Tachvitat, Ukraine, slavo Ukraine, Khmelanetsky, Kiev. But uh but nothing compared to the Holocaust. It was like uh Lagabe the Holocaust, the six million it was like. And and the Rebeyatzat is Durah Galap. And this is after Russia, what we went through. So you would think, and he was also physically sick. It wasn't like he was physically, you know. You see, the he was paralyzed; half of his body was paralyzed. He couldn't speak. So you would think that Eber said his last message was that Eber said, then and the Fabrengen, He quoted Yirmiyah Hanavi. Yirmiyah Hanavi writes in Eichel, "Ani Ra I saw the pain. Hear me, Anavi. Didn't read about it in a newspaper or a WhatsApp or a diary. Hear me, you saw Ani Hagevera oni in Eicha. I saw it all. I saw it happen. I saw it went up in flames. The Rebbe was Ani Hagevera oni. He saw it. He saw everything get destroyed. And not just in the general community, in his own family and among his own people, besides everybody else. So how do you would think that the last message would be, you know what? <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Hopefully there's some sweetness in the other world. <laughs> have a good, you know, have a good day. What was the last Mimer? The last Mimer was What's Boshy L'Gani <laughs> Hashem says that this world is my garden. And the definition of a garden is not like a field. A field is where you grow grain, which is necessary for living. It's a vital, it has vital nutrients for life. Bread, grain. But a gan, the idea of a garden is, it's a place of pleasure. You go to a garden, there's a tremendous fragrance and beautiful aroma. And you take a spazier you take a tiul, and you enjoy the flowers. It's not a necessity in terms of you have to like oxygen or food. It's a place of pleasure. It's a place of delight. So Hashem says, I came back to my garden. He calls the world my garden. He said, that was the Kiddush that the last Maime he gave out was before his stalkus. what he was saying is, I want you to know that the world is a garden. The world is a beautiful place. A garden can have weeds. You have to uh, weed out the weeds. A garden can have bacteria. A garden can have germs. A garden can have wild plants that have to be uprooted. And you have to nurture a garden. That's true. There's thorns and there could be various infections. You have to nurture a garden. You have to protect it. But essentially, it's a splendid place. You know, you go to beautiful gardens, the botan- the botanical gardens. So the Rebbe used to go for the botanical gardens, whatever it is. It's it's a beautiful, it's it's a place where you take a walk. It's romantic. It's exquisite. It's kishmak, It's delightful. So the Rebbe dedicated and the Fabreng and Yudshmat lamad Bey is to explain this in the Kuddha. that despite all of the suffering and all of the what you might call trauma and brokenness and pain, the last message that the Bala Elulah sent to the people, he wanted to impart to the Jewish people, is, I want you to know that life is beautiful. It's a garden. Yet, God was expelled, there was a chetet Eitsadah's, there was a Kayim heaven Hevel, there was a Doid Enerj, there was a Mabel, there was a Doid Aflag, all the, there was a Sdoim, all the seven things. But, but when he comes back here with Moshe, he says, this is the place. The message was to tell the people that you have to know, he said, as the velt is Nishkin jungle, the velt is a garden. The world is essentially not a jungle, it's a garden. And that's a khidish because when you look at reality, you look at life, it's very easy to become pessimistic. Some people look at their own life, and there's this negative attitude. You look at yourself, you look at your history, and you say, "This is a, it's, it's a bad world. There's a lot of depression, a lot of brokenness, as I said before. You look sometimes at your marriage, you look at your family, you look at your partner, you look at your parents, you look at your siblings. You look at friends, you look at people. There's a lot of prosperity. There's a lot of food at the Kiddush, Emmas, a lot of food at the Svabrenyan. But on a deeper level, there's also a lot of despondency. There's people who don't know what's going on with themselves. There's teenagers overdosing every day. There's mental breakdowns and mental illness. There's people more and more disassociating and disconnecting, and it's very easy to become cynical. If you're naive, you don't become cynical. But if you have your open eyes and you see what's going on, right? And you're not living in 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 your head in the sand, it's very easy to just become cynical. And when you become cynical, a piece of you dies. A piece of you dies. <laughs> My son doesn't know what I'm talking about. Huh? Huh? Oh, you do understand what I'm talking about? Okay. So you understand, yeah. I hear you. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Echev. Echev Echev yeah? Your name is Simchas. you don't have all these problems. some Bathing and Simcha Shizcha. So, from Pshischa was once in Leipzig. He lived in Leipzig, in Germany. And he used to like to go to the river, to the water. They say a he was once at the river and he saw a fellow deep in the water and there was an undercurrent and the man was swept away by the tide and he was drowning. And he was screaming, Help! But Simcha binim didn't know how to swim. Certainly not on the level of a lifeguard, so he couldn't go and hop him. And this person there was nobody there. There was no lifeguard. There was nobody there. And this poor man, this poor Jew, was going down, and the psimkabinim felt helpless. So he looked at this Jew and he said, "At the up. Shik mein to the When you get down, send my love and my warmest regards to the Luviasim." So the man started to laugh. (laughs) He started to laugh. And from the laughter, he, he, he garnered momentum and he got himself out. It looked like he was making a lot sonas, right? On this person's judgment, he's about to die. He got him out. So Chosun used to tell the story and they said, Mayim Rabin, you know, the world it's a crazy place, raging waters. You have to have a good sense of humor. Like the Rebbe says in Tanya Chavav, right? In the beginning of Perek Chavav, the Rebbe gives a martial for martial arts. You remember? It's a Rebbe gives a martial from wrestling and martial arts. And he says that victory is not reserved for the person who's stronger. Victory is reserved for the person who's happier. He's mm-hmm. more uh, agile, more swift, more flexible, more open. That's what Al-Tareba says there. He says, the nefeshel, the kiss is stronger. But if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're angry, you're not, You're going to lose. You're going to lose. Anot rei batchi, the Gemara says. Anot rei batchi. You know, the message with Eliyohan, Navi. so this was a moidh dekavot, that Yud Shvat, what was his last message? I saw darkness. I saw it all. But I'm going to leave you with Basile Gani. I want you to be able to look at life and celebrate it. Where well, they say in English, it takes one to know one. If you think about the Rebbe himself, he also he saw a lot of pain in his personal life and in the life around him. He lived through every revolution in Jewish history of the last century, the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. In 1933, he was in Berlin when Hitler took over. He was in Berlin. That was the German, what happened in Germany. 1941, he escaped. He came to America. He saw what was happening in America. At the forefront of all the major upheavals of history of the 20th century that completely transformed the Jewish world. So generally, when you see so much, you become a little cynical. Even if you're a Maiman, but it's like you go into, uh what's the word, uh, cruise control. Yeah, you dive and you learn, you're a and fine. But there's a certain deadness that sets in, a certain cynicism. The Nekud of Yud Shvat That ability to be able to say that despite everything, and despite everything that's real, it's true, it's not It's not an illusion. We're not talking about naive people. There are people who are there. They're leaders, they see it. Despite everything, to be able to celebrate life, to be able to dance to the end of love, to be able to, to enjoy your relationships, your connections, your avodos Hashem. There's a Yid. He lives on Montgomery Street. in Quran, His name is Abzalman Khanan. The Rebbe used to get around four, five, or six hundred letters a day. Those who remember, they were ma- the mailman would come to 770 with three or four sacks. Huge sacks of mail. This is before internet, before fax machines. So people wrote letters. Nobody writes letters anymore. And he would come and he would deliver it. And I remember I was like, I would always see the mailman come over with Shabbos, Monday, Tuesday, six days a week besides Sunday. Three or four huge sacks. Together it could have been four, five, six hundred letters. When I was growing up, talking about the late 70s, the early 80s, later there was a fax machine, so people with fax 88, 88 but before that there was no fax machine, you sent the letter. Shabbos. I remember the mailman would come, I heard from Leib Groner, he told me, he was the secretary, one of the secretaries of the Rebbe, the Rebbe did not allow him or anybody else to open letters. He didn't let anybody open, only himself. He told me once that somebody came on Yechidus, he was a mayor of a city, and he told the Rebbe Groni, he says, I have four secretaries to open letters. (laughs) And he... He can't can't get him a secretary to open up I don't get so many letters. So Rabbi Groner told him. He said, well, he doesn't do that, but doesn't let. He says it's private letters. He doesn't want anybody to read it. So he asked Label Groner if nobody could read it. So how does he answer it? He calls up the person. So he said he cuts out the signature. He cuts the signature so we know. Then he writes the answer, but he doesn't give us the letter. So we don't know what the person wrote. Because it doesn't want to, it, feels that people are sharing their private lives. We shouldn't see it. See, the devil would cut the signature, so would, the secretaries would know who to send the answer to, and he would write the answer. But he wouldn't let them see the letter. You know, you, have you tried opening a few hundred letters a day with your finger? Yeah, with your finger. So one day, Zalman Khan decided to buy a Sony uh, envelope opener. It's very good. You put the envelope in. Fzzz, fzzz, fzzz. So he bought it. He gave it in. He gave it through Rebbe Yaman Klein, who was another secretary. The Rebbe sent it back out. The Rebbe said, it's making too much noise. <laughs> so he went to search for a silent uh, model. He couldn't find. He called up Sony. He called up, they don't have it anymore. They used to have. He offered a lot of money. They found it in storage. He was so happy he got a silent one. It doesn't make noise. He sent it into the Rebbe. So the Rebbe would be able to open the envelopes easily. It wouldn't, he wouldn't have to open it with his finger because nobody else would open them. The Rebbe sent it out again. He, he rejected it. <laughs> so the Rebbe told the Klein client to tell him Explanation. And he said that different people seal their envelopes in different ways. Some people seal their envelopes with glue, with scotch tape, with a stapler, and some people seal their envelopes with saliva. You know, I used to seal an envelope with yeah. You seal it. He said they convert as Jews, they seal their envelope with the treden, with their tears. Efenan machine, How am I going to open with a machine that which a Jew sealed with his tears? If you put a machine, you put the envelope under a machine, the machine is not going to pick up the tears. If I open it up with my hand, I can detect the tears. What the Rebbe was saying is that already when he opens the envelope, he's already touching the person. It's not just you reading the letter. Opening the envelope, you don't give it to a machine. You open it yourself. You're talking about a, a, a man of Gisrael who feels, I heard from Dr. Weiss. You know Dr. Weiss from Chicago? Huh? Not from Dr. Weiss. Dr. Robert Feldman. Dr. Robert Feldman, he passed away not long ago. You know Dr. Robert Feldman? He was a doctor on President Street. Huh?
2: He doesn't know that.
1: Bob Feldman, yeah. Robert Feldman. Huh? Your pediatrician? Yeah, he was very concerned, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I once heard from him. I heard from him directly that when the Rebbe had his heart attack by a kafis, so people would ask, the doctors told the Rebbe he should go to the hospital. The Rebbe refused. This was Shemini Tosh Shalom 1977. So the Rebbe at some point said, you see this, he said in English to him, you see this room? So he said, yeah. So he said, over the last tens of years, tens of years, this room, the walls of this room absorbed the tears and the pain of tens of thousands of Jews. If I'm going to become healthy, it's going to be from this room. So you have to be sensitive to this, to understanding what it means to absorb tears. Despite all of this, and together with all of this, the Rebbe said, what was the last message that the Rebbe ayats wanted to leave to Khsidim and to the Jewish people is, Bosi L'gani Achai Sikal. Hashem calls this world a garden and my garden despite all the cynicism and all the challenges and all the brokenness, you should know that at the core, it's a world of beauty. It's a world of, of delight. It's a world of tainug, of ecstasy. It's a world of oneness. It's a world of pleasure. It's a world of ikrashchine betachtoyinim. We have to reveal it. We have to transform the darkness. You have to excavate the depth you have to eliminate the germs and the bacteria and the weeds and the kitesim and the chuchim. You have to be zymer. All the Hilchis Shabbos are discussing how you cultivate a garden. But at the core, you're dealing with a garden. So what does this mean in our lives? It means that sometimes. Uh, drugs are dead from a
2: plant. Drugs are from
1: a plant. You mean which drug? Psychedelics? I know what drugs. Drugs come from plants. yeah some yeah some plants are poisonous but some plants are very powerful
2: <laughs>
1: yeah so what's the point the point is yeah, you celebrate the gardens the point is that in everybody's life when you look at it it's easy to become pessimistic it's very easy to become cynical somebody once told me he said cynicism, right, is is basically, it's a form of fear. It's running away, it's retreating. You retreat, how do you retreat? When you become cynical, nobody's going to disappoint you. Because you already knew it. You know, when people are cynical, it's like, yeah, you know, sell me, sell me another bridge. When you're cynical, you don't believe anything, so you won't be disappointed. It's a way of protecting yourself against another dagger. Instead of you stabbing me, I already I didn't trust. It's fine. The khidish of Basilagani is that you had their two manhigim, the Rebbe and Rebbe. They saw that they both observed and lived through the darkest periods of Jewish and human history. And they emerged and they said, Yes. But the world is still a garden. The ra, the evil, is not at the core. At the core, there's goodness. At the core, is a lakus. is lamata You have to be at Megala. You have to work hard to reveal it. But at the core, don't let brokenness prevail. Allow wholesomeness to prevail. Celebrate life. At the end of the day, it's a story of goodness. It's a story of hope. It's not a story of doom and failure and depression. And it changes everything. Sometimes you have a story in yourself and you say, this shows me that the world is a jungle. As they call it, I'm a Shugenevelt. Shtus. It's a place of stus, of insanity. It's a place of sheker, of lies. Kabat-Bohsi says, From the shtus, you make atzi shittim. And from the sheker, you make kroshem. Kroshem. Oh, is she sheker. From the shtus, you make atzi shittim. You build the beams of the mishkin. And from the sheker, you make kroshem. What does it mean in a person's life?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It means that even though Sometimes our experience and our brain wants to go into the pessimistic and into doomsday and into the negative. The ultimate message is, Enjoy life. Celebrate the world. I have two cousins, first cousins. My uncle had a fish store on Kingston Avenue. It's called Raskin's Fish Store. His name was Beto Raskin. He passed away some time ago, not long ago. Now his children took over the store. So when I went to visit for Shiva, so I sat with his two daughters. His older daughter, his name is Brochola, and the younger daughter, next daughter is called, her name is Basi. Brochola is a richler. And Basi is a comart, But they're Raskin from their home. So we were schmoozing. It was at their father's shiva a few years ago. Two years ago, three years ago. So the two girls told me that Ebbetson, the Rebbe's wife, would call the fish store to get fish. So once their father asked them to deliver the fish to the Rebbe's on President Street, the Rebbe's house. They were Besrifka girls. They were teenagers. One was around 16 and the other one was 14, 15, 14. A few years apart from each other. And he said, make sure you go and don't let the and schlep the bags. There was a lot of fish. Make sure you go in and you put it where it has to be so she shouldn't have to schlep the fish. It was heavy. So these two girls went and they picked up the fish, Brachala and Basi. And they went to President Street where the Rebbe lived. And they came from the back door. There was a back door and they rang the bell. And the and Chaimushka opened the door and they brought in the fish. She wanted to take the bag. They said, we want to bring it in. They brought in the fish. They put it wherever she wanted them to put it, in the refrigerator or the counter. And they were ready to leave. They dropped off the delivery. They were ready to leave. But the Rebetzin stopped them. And she said, how are you? What are your names? Where do you learn? And she struck up a whole detailed conversation with them. What school do you go to? Who are your teachers? What subjects do you learn? Do you like school? Is school boring? Is school interesting? She gave them a thorough interview to find out what their hobbies are and what their interests are and how school is and what do you learn and what's going on and the teachers. and She wanted to know everything about their lives. And they were they were very happy to be able to talk to the Rebbe's wife. and They shared with her everything that she wanted to know. And then the conversation was over a few minutes later. And it was time to leave. So they were walking towards the door, and they said goodbye, and she thanked them, and they thanked her. And uh, they told me that Everson looked up at them right when they were leaving. She said, you're teenagers, a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. And she said, girls, girls, don't forget to enjoy life. <laughs> and she bid them farewell. That's what they shared with me. I thought to myself, very interesting. Girls, don't forget to enjoy life. So I asked them, what did she mean? Like, why would they forget? Why would they forget? So one of my cousins, they're they're my first cousins, my mother and Mrs. Raskin are Lipskers, they're sisters. Bobby Bobby and Esther Raskin are sisters. No. Esther's daughters, Brachala and Basia, two daughters, they went to deliver the fish to the Rebetzin. They said, you know, she was listening to them going to school and, you know, how boring some of the classes are. You know, routine. You know, life gets tedious in your teenagers and life is not always simple. And she was telling them, girls, don't forget. Don't forget to enjoy life. Don't forget to enjoy life. But I found it very fascinating coming from her. that Ebotson didn't have children. She was a lonely person. And her even her husband, she barely had. You know, he would come home. When 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 the Rebbe became a Rebbe, the Rebotson knew that it's not going to be easy. He would come home sometimes 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning. It wasn't like he was... Uh, I don't have to tell you how hard the Rebbe worked. And she didn't have her own family life. It was difficult. Things were difficult. But she told these girls, she said, you know, don't forget to enjoy life. Don't forget to celebrate relationships. Don't forget to celebrate your days, your nights. Don't forget to to suck the marrow out of life, to enjoy it. In many ways, this was her father's message. Every one of us faces challenges. I don't know anybody who doesn't deal with some struggle. Everyone deals with struggles and challenges physically, financially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, energetically, somatically, and sometimes all of them together, or at least one of them. It's very easy to get sucked in to the vortex of the hurricane. It's easy to get sucked into the whirlwind of the tsunami. It's easy to get sucked in to the storm, and you often become just like a, a, a negative person. And It's a dark world, and that's how it is. You know, you read Kehelis, and uh, <laughs> Shloim HaMelech writes how everything is hevel, avolem, hakel, <laughs> hakel, hevel. vanity, oh vanity, everything is vanity. But the last Maim of Yud Shvat, the Riedi Rebbe decided he's going to choose a Pasek from Shir Hashirim, Nishvan Kaelas <laughs> from <laughs> Shir Hashirim. Shir Hashirim is Basi Lega'ani a-chay-sikhal. Ik-yashchina That despite the chay-shech at the core of everything is ge'ula, for Aritz says, sayu so Vayuva v'chay-shech ha-pnei sahayim. V'ruach says the Medrash, the ability to be able to see love, to feel love, to experience love. You can only do that if you find it in yourself. So I said, And when you can do it within yourself, you can give it to others. But the last message was a message. He lived through Hitler, Stalin, At Finsteravel, Yud. Everybody was sitting shiver still five years after Auschwitz. What's there to celebrate? At best you survived. The message was no. The good is gonna prevail, the, the happiness is gonna prevail, love will prevail. And Dedebis started to embody that, and he wouldn't flinch. Despite disappointments and frustration and setbacks and failure, very easy to become cynical and dismiss. It's a lot of pain. But he remained an ambassador, a steadfast anchor, meeting every person and just having the same message, and that is, you're a piece of infinity. And the moments I'm spending time with you is going to be dedicated to Reveal how powerful you are. How good you are. And that's the transition from Golos into a place of Gula. The Shlavs. But
0: the Amnesty. Simcha, you have to have a cushion. You have to have a You get caught up. Yeah?
1: You have to have a relationship. You have to have a higher a higher reality.
0: <laughs>
1: I once heard from the Rebbe. I saw it from the Ruzhina, from the B'sol, but I heard from the Rebbe, by Favrein. He said from Baba Metzia, Yiyush Shalom Midas. You remember Abaya and Ravah? Yush is Shalom midas. If there's Yiyush, it's because there was no Das. Was for them? No One of the Yush is If there was Das, there'd be no Yish. Asimu stuck in Das no Now sometimes there's no Das. Ain't a Ain't ani das to said that Golos and is Das. It's perception. The Nebuchadnezzar used to say, Geulah is the same letters like Geulah. The difference is if there's an Aleph. If you see the Aleph, Bas you see Geulah, you see the Aleph, the Aluf doesn't mean there's no Goila. Geulah doesn't mean there's no Galas. It means the Goila becomes Geulah because you put in the Aleph. Gula doesn't mean the circumstances change. You have a new wife, a new husband, new kids. No! <laughs> you come home to the same Meshugan Amatzev in Pomona. Oh, I forgot. Pomona is Ganeidin. Okay, do Wesley Hills if you want.
0: <laughs>
1: Pomona is Ganeidin Elyin. Wesley is <laughs> eat Atachten. Brooklyn is uh, whatever. That's where you ran away from. Huh? Massive migrations are the natural habitat of the Jewish people in Muncie. The natural habitat of the Amishers in Pennsylvania and the Jews in Pomona. Or Miami. Or the Hamptons. It's,
0: it's,
1: really. it's Gola. You, you see the aleph. You put on the glasses. You see the aleph. It's the same matzah. But you see goyla. It's not that the words change. You put the aleph into the goylish gula. That's what you mean, yeah? <laughs>
0: huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. Reb is maskum. Huh?
0: It's not
1: sure. My maskum, that's the fact says it's all poshut.
0: No, Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uncle, you. <inaudible flexible> yeah. <ẫn> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You
1: get stuck in the mud. So that's the question. Deep down in your core, do you see the world as hopeless or hopeful? Deep down, deep down in your nervous system, in your goof, when you wake up in the morning, what's your instinctive response? Is it negative or positive? Do you see the world from a vantage point of darkness or vantage point of brightness? You can't force it. My words are not going to change it because it's deep inside of you. Huh? That's a good question. He's practical. He's asking, depends if the baby slept through the night. If the baby slept through the night, it's bossy lagani. If the baby didn't sleep through the night, (laughs) you got to deal with a choy (laughs) And all the ramifications. And then you know where you're gonna end up is gonna be called doidi doyfik. Peace khili, I wanna <to> come back. Achaisi rayasi andasi samasi. Shiraishi nimla tol. Futsoisai r sisei laila. <laughs> yeah. Sharishi nimla tol. Sha shidim. My head is filled with dew. I'm outside. My head is filled with dew. I want to come in. The, the strands of my hair are filled with the, the wetness of night. The kala is telling the
0: chasen.
1: No, the chasen is telling the kala. Let me in. I went to sleep already. I took off my xinus. I'm wearing pajamas. You want me to get dressed? I'm in bed. You want me to get my feet dirty and go to the door and get muddy? And he's begging. He's saying, I'm outside. I can't take it here. It's dark, it's wet, it's muddy, it's depressing.
0: Whenever it says, who's referring to it? Who's saying,
1: who's to it? it depends. It's the kala to the chasin, or the chasin to the kala. Put him tov shem chaf. That I just said the whole story in, in, in Ruchnius, and he was sobbing, he was sobbing. Put him tov chaf, and then put him tov shem chaf gimel again. So what's the nekuda? The nekuda is... But the Bashi said, "You have to stop singing Eicha, start singing Shir Hashirim." It's not words; it's to be able to feel the Avas olam. The Rebbe wanted to provide for people the 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 safety, the inner confidence, not through words. It's an inner inner sense that you could you could trust. And we have to be able to do it for each other, and then we could do it for ourselves and for our children. Basilegani, everything changes with Basilegani. If the world is a jungle or the world is a garden, it's a different world. The question is, what are you? What are you? What inside? What are you really feeling deep inside? When you talk to God, is he a threatening monster? Or is it a loving embrace? It's not so simple, huh? It's not so simple. <laughs> <laughs> was this. That the last message Aniha would think such a life. This wouldn't be the last message. As measure was basi lakani you have to be very connected for this you have to believe to see people and see Ein Soif in them really be able to see that it's not simple because all this cynicism comes in and it distracts you you want to just reject them especially people who are close to you and they disappoint you it's hard. Right? When you love them and they disappoint you, you want to you want to reject that ability to be able to be present.
0: Because you love
1: them so much. Of course, because you love them, they cause you so much if you don't love them, they wouldn't cause you pain. They would be irrelevant. You could reject them, you can amputate yeah. them. When they're part of you, it triggers you so deeply. To be able to remain present, that's the union of Odin lamata Adin tachlus. that's a chelik of Basile Gani. The Maimah Purim Khaf he spoke a lot about this union of the and <speaking in Hebrew> the Kvutsoy Shroi Shinim Latal, the <speaking in> B'chiyas, <Hebrew> the Kol Doidi Doifek. Balayla Has she not a genomen? The first a thing. The first
2: is
1: The The but Parish's boy. But Tovshin Yuri gave it out with a, ma- a new beginning, Basilogami. And he made Kitsudim, he made uh, abbreviations. The Maimur was set, Tovresh Pe Gimel, 1923. Pe Gimel, 23. Yudshma Tovreshim and Vav, Sefer Maimonim Tovresh Pe Gimel came out. So by the Fabrengim, before Yudshma, they never spoke a lot about that. Those were the Maimonim of Basilogami. And In fact, the Rebbe came to the Freedic Kaleb uh, Tophresh Pegimbo, Sukkis. No, those know. were were the first my mother, huh? It yeah, yeah. became Sukkis Pegimbo. There's There's a diary from Rabbi Chadokov. Tophshut Tazayin. The Rebbe told them the first time I saw the Rebbe was Sukkis Pegimbo. And
0: when was
1: this one? The was said, Parshish Boy, Tophshut Pegimbo, 1923. It was published of Shunyud of Basi He
0: re-edited
1: and wrote Kitsulim and he gave it out.